0: We are one round down and already the alien has landed. Welcome to Bike Live here on Motorsport 101. Let's go Yes, welcome everyone to episode 5 here of Bike Life here on Motorsport 101, the Johan Zarko edition, which is actually more true than we realized. Um, on Bike Live. A warm welcome to all of you as we look back on the opening round of the MotoGP season. It's so good to have it back uh, from Qatar. MotoGP, Moto2 and Moto3 all covered over the course of the next couple of hours as Maverick Vinales certainly announced himself as the new alien in MotoGP with a victory on his Yamaha debut. Uh, Franco Morbidelli announcing himself as a Moto2 title contender with his first win in the class. And Joan Mir, last year's Rookie of the Year, showing signs that he may go one better and take the ultimate prize in the lightweight class this season. We will also look ahead to the British Superbike Championship, which gets underway this weekend at Donington Park, and the third round of the World Superbike Championship, which also sees the debut of the Super Sport 300 class. Um, Our Scouse co-host Rebecca James isn't here, unfortunately, with us this week. Um, But back to uh, rescue the show from the rubble of a week ago. Um, It's Andre Harrison. Welcome back, Dre. Shoot your shot,
1: kids. Shoot your shot.
0: But yeah. in the meantime, yes. Yeah, this week's back. about as good as life gets for you, isn't
1: it? <laughs> it's been a pretty good week, to say the least. But, uh, yeah, I'm back to restore order after last week's shenanigans. Um, I, I wasn't best pleased with Beck's going scouts and setting the house on fire. Um, luckily, I, I I am back to, to instill a sense of calm and bold predictions. Well,
0: Great. Yeah, just, um, just to uh, warn you or just to uh, put you to ease at home if you're listening in, given how his weekend got on, you probably won't be hearing the name Bulliger all that much over the course of this particular show. Um, but let's tell you how you can find us. If you don't know already, there are many, many ways where you can get in touch with us. Um, you can find us on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash motorsport101. Uh, we're on Twitter at motorsport underscore 101. Um, we're also on YouTube, youtube.com forward slash motorsport101, where Dre will be doing his weekly Google Hangouts from now on. Um, you can also find us on SoundCloud and iTunes and all the usual places where you can find each of our weekly shows. Um, we are on Patreon. If you like us that much that you want to back us financially, patreon.com forward slash motorsport101. All of the information around all of those is on the website, motorsport 101 where the 30 in 30 comes to a head today as we record this, Drake.
1: Yes, that'll be up later tonight. So by the time this goes out, it'll already be be done. But uh, hooray, I'm actually pretty much there now. Great. I'm, I'm going to die now.
0: You finally <laughs> made it. You finally Drake can finally have a day off uh, after a month uh, of posts up on the website. You can find all 30 of them if you head on to motorsport101.net. Um, right, let's talk Qatar, and let's talk the opening round of the MotoGP season, um, which, um, as I was speaking to Bex about last week on the show, we waited four months for this, so we all hoped it was going to be worth the wait. Well, um, we almost had to wait another fortnight uh, for our opening <laughs> race of the season um, because of the uh, the unique weather um, that we saw this weekend in Qatar. Um, Dre, it was a bizarre weekend, uh, wasn't it? I mean, awesome. Race direction came in for a bit of stick throughout that weekend, but... Um, I don't think they can be really too guilty of not planning for rain in Qatar. It's
1: like I, I saw a lot of people trying to throw Dorna under the bus for this one and trying to give race direction some stick, and I'm sitting here thinking, like, listen, this is Qatar. We're in a desert. It rains here about three days a year. It, it's it's unfortunate it just so happened to fall in the late in the late week of March. Um, I don't see how like. It's understandable that Qatar doesn't have drainage. Why do you spend money on that for three days a year? Exactly. One, it doesn't really rain in Qatar. Two, you have to spend money to install said drainage. And three, because of the wind and desert conditions, said drainage will be blocked up with sand, and that requires maintenance because you're blowing a lot of sand onto the track, naturally. So when you factor all of those things in, the pros and the cons... like. Like the cons of having drainage far outweigh the pros on this situation, so I understand completely why Qatar doesn't have a drainage system. And quite frankly, um, for me, this was kind of a freak. It was, this was a freak weekend. I mean, thunderstorms, heavy rain, like across the board all weekend long. And given that Qatar is such a massive track in terms of like land mass covered you're going to get, like, spotty parts of rain on the circuit as well. So, like, it's going to be the same everywhere because some places it's going to rain harder than others, just we found out on Sunday night as well. So, mm. when you factor all of that in, like, I'd argue, again, because they have a habit of doing so. They did a very good job, given the circumstances, um, that we yeah you know, we got all three races we got a, a, an actually quite intriguing grid because of the practice times and because we didn't have a qualifying session so quite frankly we we had everything pretty much go according to plan in the end outside of a Saturday session but hey, we got a race, and that's as good as it can be. So what's
0: the... Compl- I don't see what you can really complain about here. Yeah, I mean, I I was among those complaining on, on Saturday for no other reason than the fact that I booked the Saturday off work and I'm thinking, hey, I'm going to get... at least I'm going to get qualifying in and I'm at work on the Sunday and then qualifying doesn't happen. I'm thinking, don't you dare move qualifying to Sunday because uh, I'm working. Um, but but yeah, it was it was such a bizarre scenario, Dre, wasn't it? Because the track on Saturday, wasn't, it wasn't like it was fully wet. It was just like patches of the circuit that were absolutely sodden wet and parts of it were dry, um, yeah. which which made it even worse because, of course, we don't have the intermediates anymore uh, in MotoGP, so they couldn't use those. Um, and there was no point putting slicks on because once you got to the wet patches, you'd fly off the road. And um, if you put it, wets on, they would just turn to mush by the time you even got to the wet parts of the track because the rest of it's dry. Um, and... To be fair to to Dorna, I mean they they sent um, uh, as you put it the uh, Qatari curling team out there um, to, to try to try and just, to try and mop things up, um, but they they had no other option, did they? Because as I think it was Simon Patterson made the point on, on Twitter, and it, it sounds really dramatic, but it's actually not. If a rider look at those gravel traps and how much of a, effectively a swimming pool they were um, at some corners. You could genuinely have a scenario where if a rider has a big crash and knocks himself out and lands face down in one of those gravel traps, he could drown.
1: Exactly, and yeah, that's the last thing you're going to want after a crash when you're not quite aware of what's going on. The next thing you know, you're, you're, you're surrounded in a pool of water and your helmet's filling up. That's not that's not a, an ideal scenario at all. And I mean, there was no just, way they could run. No, there's there's like it's it's a very unique situation, but one that's also incredibly dangerous. You cannot like. Wet tires are not designed to run on dry on dry tracks for obvious reasons. I don't think that needs to be explained. But absolutely, like, well, your, your description was absolutely spot on. Like, it, it was it was too dry to have wet tires, and it was too patchy to run on slicks. And when that happens, I mean, Maverick Vignoles was the first person to say, and this is the guy that you know running on a Sunday would most likely benefit, given how fast he was in practice. Um, Maverick was the first guy to say safety first and mm. it was far too dangerous to run anything and people would be dropping like flies out there they'd be they'd be riding at 60% of their full speed more unlikely likely because of how the wet patches would throw people off the scent you'd be cooling slick tires down and yeah, it's just there's there's too many ridiculously dangerous scenarios that could happen through this to justify running a Saturday
0: session. And, so uh, and Mavericks the guy, the, like, Mavericks it. the guy, like you say, who probably would have had most to gain. He'd probably be the most keen to race, uh, given that he's probably got the edge on the field. Um, given how well he got in practice, which obviously ended up setting the grid um, for the race because we didn't get a qualifying session in uh, on the Saturday. Uh, now we've only almost didn't get a race, as I said, on the Sunday because with almost frightening similarity to a few years ago, um, mm. just as the race is about to start, the rain falls uh, oh. in Qatar, um, forcing a as- delayed start. Asin
1: as- as- 2015,
0: anyone? Yeah, Asin 2015, and, and like I say, this Qatar race um, in, what was it, 2009 when we had the Monday night race, oh, we, yeah. um, when they, they were literally about to set off on their green flag lap and it just absolutely pissed it down. Yeah. Um, just seconds before the race is going to get underway we had that again um, on Sunday night and um, it led to that um, incredible scenario of the sighting laps when they were going to sort of send them back out again to have another restart and they got to about three corners from home and all suddenly fell off the road <laughs> and decided yeah, yeah this ain't going to work guys and you had the the amazing scenario of Valentino and Maverick Vinales sort of cruising onto the grid together just looking at each other and just shaking their heads yeah, it's like
1: no 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 we, we, we want none of this yeah. <laughs> Like, it, it was a crazy scenario there. Like, again, it was very strange to see, like, m- like many of the big names out there. Like, Marquez was completely buffers, Like, ah, this is fine. Um, meanwhile, Valentino Rossi... Well, that Marie wasn't even the on best this.
0: one. The best one was Loris Baz, who was interviewed by Neil Hodgson. He was like, yeah, it's good to go. Let's go, guys. <laughs> 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 the Lawrence Rainmaster.
1: master. Loris Baz is a lunatic. Yeah. Let, me the- Let me make that absolutely clear from now. Baz is a nutter. But in the same time, like, it was kind of amazing seeing Maverick, Valentino Rossi, Andre Iononi all at the front talking to people from Dorna, and I think it was a quote from Paul Espagaro who said that Esperanza, who's one of the top dudes at Dorna, said, we're not going to run, and then 10 minutes later, they end up running. It's really <laughs> weird how that turned out in the end. There's been a lot of drama in the uh, on the grid before the race had started, but you could tell that the riders were not happy, and... Oh, it could have been a lot uglier than what, it, what we actually got in the end. And luckily, um, we did have a race and it was relatively safe um, in the grand scheme of things. But, mm. God, it could have been disastrous. And you could tell that off the first sighting lap that uh, they were not
0: comfortable with that at all. Mm. And, and in the end, as, as uncomfortable as the riders were with it, were kind of and race direction were proven right in the end, given mm. that the dew point was going to come down after the race. So what happened just as the riders were walking out to the podium, <laughs> it, the heavens opened again. We yep. just got away with it.
1: Like, somewhere the great MotoGP gods in the sky, or maybe Valentino just clicked his fingers, we're like, yeah. okay, you, you can rain now, we're done here. Uh, we'll let Qatar clean this up after we go. Because, I mean, like they said a the Monday race was an option, but I struggled to see that because, according to David Emmett on Twitter, they have to ship all the parts out on the Mondays for Argentina for round two. So, like, they had, like it was going to be touch and go whether they could actually get a monday race it'll probably have to be the day race because they were going to ship all the parts out, out by curia on the monday night so it would have been a bit touch and go but again they, they just managed to find that two hour window to put on all three races and then be able to go home before the heavens opened up again because oh boy i'm not sure we would have gotten that monday race that loris was so confident about in the, in, in that saturday press conference where he was talking about potential options for safety and whatnot
0: mm. yeah and um <laughs> Yeah, we, we just got away with it because we were, we would have, it would have undoubtedly been red flag territory. And, and what I was almost worried about is, yeah, I want us to see a race, but I don't want us to have a race. Get to four laps in. The red flags come out. We have half points coming in here. And we have a, we have a race result based on sort of a four lap race. Um, although, having said that, I can think of one guy who might have been kind of happy with that um, because it's not often we start this show by talking about one of the first guys to crash. Um, don't worry, Cal Crutchlow, it's not you. <laughs> um but um but the the rookie the reigning Motor two champion um uh, joan zarko who um ended up starting fourth on the grid um by virtue of the free practice combined times but that's not to say he wouldn't have qualified somewhere around there anyway he was looking brilliant all weekend Absolutely. and um it's very rare this happens dre where uh, a guy has not only a guy does this well on his rookie appearance but even given the, the many, many stories that came from this race that we're going to talk about through this show, the, the Vinales victory, Rossi coming from nowhere to third, Dovi finishing second on a Ducati, the Honda struggles, Aleish doing so well in Aprilia, everybody was talking about Joan Zarco.
1: Yeah, it was an unbelievable weekend from Zarco in every capacity, I mean... in in general speaking tech free looked very good last year's championship black was clearly a very good one if zarko and volga can hop on it and and immediately be running in in the top 10 or in zarko's case even the top five that's insane um and again brilliant start and you know he he, he'd broken them them on those soft tires and he, he broke the toe he was gone he was going to win this race i reckon if He looked very comfortable, and maybe the soft tyres might have packed up towards the end, but I think what we saw later in the race proved the soft tyre was the way to go. So, yeah, I mean, for me, overall, Zarko was incredible. And the, the confidence, the pace, like, everything you'd expect from Zarko in his Moto2 days was all there. And... A darn shame that uh, he, he had the sudden accident and Zarko was the first man to kick himself. And he has roasted himself on, on various interviews ever since, bless him. But um, a, a truly phenomenal effort from Johan Zarko there, all things considered, on that satellite bike there. It, like, one of the most impressive rookie performances I've seen in a long time. It's a, it's a darn shame he's got nothing to show for it now. But that was a warning shot to the rest of the field that Johan Zarko is here. And, um, yeah, he was really, really good in Mozo Two. in case many many people have forgotten since
0: then. (laughs) Yeah, reigning double champion. But it was was interesting that Valentino spoke after the race. And, as I say, everyone was talking about Zarco, uh, even even given what happened after he departed the scene. Um, And Valentino was talking about the fact that Morbidelli, who's obviously one of his sort of, he's part of the VR46 Academy, Mm -hmm. part of the program, had been telling Valentino over the winter, hey, watch out for this guy. Um, because obviously he's followed it with close quarters in Moto Two and he said that, Oops. you know, even in Moto Two he was doing stuff that was just unbelievably special on that bike in that class. Mm-hmm. Um, particularly the way that Zarka would just get stronger late in a race um, in, in Moto2. And um, unfortunately, we didn't get to see whether he'd do that um, in GP. And I think you're right in, in the soft tyre being the way to go, because although Marquez didn't make it work, as we'll, we'll talk about later on, um, Davizio so did on, on the Ducati. He went for the softer tyre and made it work. And you've got to think that whichever bike in the field would have been easier on the tyre. It probably would have been the Yamaha
1: absolutely i mean they are the all round package they are able to make just about any scenario work and if you're on the optimum side yamaha will always be in contention unless it's kota but in any <laughs> sense yeah absolutely um yamaha is the best all-rounder i think i think that's always been i think that's always been my fault going into moto gp hmm. and yeah i think the soft tyre is indeed the way to go um to be fair to Marquez, his pace did pick right back up towards the end again. So it looked like the soft tires were dropping off relative to the hards by the end, but it was just too late by that point. And the soft tire had more longevity than people thought. Apparently, they were saying that Michelin was saying ten to fifteen laps, and they would drop off in a twenty-lap Grand Prix. And it turns out they had about 18-19 in them. So. Yeah, I think the soft was the way to go, but I can understand why Marquez was being conservative. Very risky scenario out there. The last thing you want to do is reigning champion has been it on your opening race, and I think he'll take those thirteen points. Um, this is—it's like, nice to see that uh, Marquez, I think, has actually kept that mentality of last year, where you know what, this is not a race I'm going to win. Let me take these points rather than push harder than what's necessary because the top, the top three, and uh, you know, you could probably throw. Zarco and Ioni in there too before they crashed. Um, we're in a different league you know, on those soft tyres, and you know it was it was the wrong decision, um, but maybe in some ways it was the right decision too because I don't think Honda were going to challenge for the win in this scenario, even if they were on the soft tyres. So
0: no, and um, they haven't really challenged for a win here since Marquez last won there in in fourteen, have they? They they haven't really. I mean, fifteen it was a Yamaha Ducati show, and last year it was it was pretty much Lorenzo who won it at Canter. Um, last year, too. Um, but yeah, just, just finish off on Zarko. I think uh, what it didn't disappoint me, but I did hear Crutchlow and Rossi both almost trying to take away from, from what Zarko and Folger were doing by saying, well, you know, the Yamaha is the most user friendly bike. So it's probably the, if you're a rookie, that's probably the bike you'd want to jump on. Um, and they're right in that, but that shouldn't take anything away from what Zarko and Folger did over the weekend. Because whatever whatever bike you're on, to do that as a rookie, um, is absolutely phenomenal. Um, Zarco's crash from a sort of two second lead left Davizioso leading the Grand Prix uh, from a group of riders, including the two factory Yamahas, Marquez and Andrea Iannone, who were all chasing him down. But unfortunately, then, Drake, we lost Iannone from the leading group. It um, wasn't quite as big a shock as Zarco to see Iannone in that leading group, but he was a guy who looked nowhere for most of the weekend. And then late in free practice three, he suddenly vaulted up to second from nowhere. Um to a burning him a front row star and he was looking really good, wasn't he?
1: Crazy Joe's at it again, everybody. Yeah, you, know, you just you just never quite know what you're gonna get with Ianoni. And like you say, Suzuki looked nowhere. Maybe that's because of Alex so who had a tough rookie tough rookie debut today. Oh, this past weekend and in, in, in Qatar, so maybe that's part of the problem with, with Suzuki that we do, you know, maybe they didn't look as strong because their rider outfit isn't as strong, but then Ianoni, like, like you say. FP3 out of nowhere comes in and drops it in, in drops it in the middle of the front row, and uh, a stunning lap for me. And only to, to suddenly just steal it like that. That was an incredible job. Um, and again, his pace was good. It was very good in the race indeed. And again, he we we probably would have finished on the podium at worst if he was able to keep that going. But uh, I, I don't know if you saw it, but uh, the FIM actually posted a ninety-second clip. Of the race, and in that clip, you can see that Ianoni bangs the the back of of Marquez's rear tire, and um, mm-hmm. as Keith Ewan will tell you, in the battle of front tire versus rear tire, the rear tire will always win. Drink and drink, uh, <laughs> and, drink. and uh, <laughs> <laughs> next thing you know, Ianoni's on the deck, and, and it's a shame because that is that's just peak Ianoni right there. Always so close, always in the mix, has in, in exceptional speed, but. Is always prone to the odd mistake, and that was another like second year in a row. Another critical mistake
0: has cost him a, a very substantial chunk of points. Yeah, I think that calmed a lot of nerves at Suzuki though to see um, you know up there yes. fighting for a winner a circuit which isn't known as a Suzuki circuit. Um, mm. Qatar, I mean, they didn't even with Vinales on board they didn't quite challenge for the win last season. I know Vinales got sixth, but he was he wasn't really in that leading fight last year. Um, so for you only to do that um, was encouraging. Um. To the guys that did end up fighting for the win then, it ended up descending into a three-way fight once those softer tyres dropped off on Marquez's Honda. Uh, We ended up with a a very familiar sight Dre, in in a Qatar Grand Prix, a fight for the win between Yamahas and a Ducati. Um, de Dovizioso doing the Lord's work for them. Um, But in the end, we kind of got the winner that we all kind of thought we'd get three days out from how dominant he was uh, on Thursday in free practice. And although the win itself wasn't quite as dominant, um as free practice baby suggested it might be um just the dream start for maverick vinales at Movistar yamaha
1: well yeah there's nothing better than winning your first race on the opening round and you know basically scaring the entire field of how fast you are and you know a lot of people like david emmett will say that you know the season doesn't really start until her ref um but you know that's that's poppycock really i mean maverick will these points was... still count <laughs> Yeah, the the twenty five points are still twenty five points and that is a, an an ex- it was an exceptional weekend from Maverick. Look, like, again, the biggest compliment I can say about him is that he looked like Lorenzo out there.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And like if you're volunteer, that's probably a terrifying thought right now that you've replaced Lorenzo for oh, another Lorenzo. Oh only, only this one's eight years younger and maybe even faster. Um like that was a sensational performance, and he, he he was dominant all weekend. You could tell he always had three or four temps on everybody else on on any given lap, and that is a terrifying thought, quite frankly. That Maverick had that kind of speed in him um, all this time, and again he was under he was under pressure towards the end there from De Vizioso who God bless him, he's such a workhorse, and, yeah. and just just not quite had enough this time again either. He must be really kicking himself for all those second places in Qatar. As we mentioned before we, just went on, just before we just we started recording, this is the third year in a row that he's finished second at Qatar to a Yamaha. And it's been three different Yamaha riders. <laughs> like Rossi, Lorenzo, and now Maverick. And, like, the man must be kicking himself. Mean, what have I got to do to win in Qatar, basically, at this point? Because that Ducati is a rocket shit. Like, they were making, like, two tenths a second on that home straight alone, which is you know, two-thirds of a mile long. Yeah, but, Los
0: uh, still has that Ducati lane down the way yeah. straight.
1: So um, just, you know, just touching 250 miles an hour on the speed traps, no big deal. It <laughs> was, yeah, he did.
0: But, but, but Maverick, he, he had to use his brain and through a lot of that race because it wasn't like his Silverstone win or like a lot of Lorenzo's wins at Yamaha where he just goes out from the front and dominates because cause he didn't have the greatest of starts from pole position. Oh. Um, Dropped down the field while Zarco was busy trying not to plough into Scott Redding. Um, and take the lead of the race. And obviously, Dovi and Unone and got past him and Marquez got past him. Um, so Maverick was back in fifth or sixth early on in that race and had to sort of carefully pick his way through. Um, and he then had to use his brain towards the end, didn't he, Dre? Because he had to recognize what... All of us recognising what Rossi had to recognise when he was battling Divizioso here two years ago, in that he had to pick the right point to pass that Ducati, because he knew that if he passed him towards the end of the lap, that Ducati was just going to smoke him again down the main straight, so he had yeah. to try and pass him early in the lap if possible, and then gap him around the rest of the lap, so that he couldn't get slipstreamed again.
1: Absolutely, I mean that was that was good veteran craft from Maverick, and this is only his first season in the top class, and... Yeah, he made it look very, very comfortable out there at the end. He, it, it, it looked more comfortable than it than what it probably actually was. And that's probably the genius of it, really, was that, you know, again, he, he's absolutely right. He knew what he had to do. He had to pass early, pass hard, put the hammer down and hope he's got a third of a second by the time he comes out of the last corner to make sure that Dovi can't pull him in on the toe because we've seen it a couple of years ago. Dovi can lead, he hasn't, he has got enough speed where he can be over the line first in a drag race if, if he's close enough. So the fact that the Maverick was able to get that gap out, go hard and be able to bring it home like that, very impressive
0: stuff from Maverick indeed. And poor Dovey once again. <laughs> yeah, poor Dovey once again. I mean, yeah, where, where do we sit on Dovey's weekend? Because it was another it was another great showing, another second place, um, way ahead of his teammate, who we'll, we'll come on to in a bit, um, Jorge Lorenzo. But uh, it's almost the same again, isn't it? We almost can't really... Pass judgment on Dvirciozo and how Ducati are going to do this season because this is what they always do in, in Qatar.
1: Yeah, well, we'll know when we get to Jaref and when we get to Argentina and some of the trickier tracks where Ducati you know, stereotypically struggle around some of those some of those tighter, more technical circuits, but. Uh, It's worth mentioning again. David Iozzo is such a is such a good rider, and he's such a workhorse, and he's one of the very few guys you can genuinely build a team around because he's just so good with feedback, so good at development, so good at just getting the maximum out of a bike regardless of scenario. And like he's he's such a good yardstick to have in a team because you know exactly what you're going to get because he's your baseline. And again, like. This is no average rider. I know he's adapting, but this is Jorge Lorenzo, one of the mm. best riders we've ever seen on the on, on that bike. And <laughs> sure, he, he this this is completely alien to him to, to be on that Ducati, but Bobby absolutely destroyed him. And that is mm-hmm. that is a that is an interesting um bit of a there that Lorenzo was that far off on on it on his first Ducati race. But again, you know, like when it comes to ability and when it comes to scenarios and when it comes to whatever team you put him in. Dovey will always be <laughs> the baseline guy,
0: and that in itself is valuable. Mm. Yeah, he is, and and on Lorenzo in, in his weekend. I mean, the lesser the better. In fairness, well, um, but, but his I mean his race his race has to be considered in the context of what happened on the first lap, where he went wide, um, a very uncharacteristic Lorenzo first lap mistake. Because the first lap is mm. usually where he's so good. Um, in making early ground and getting himself into a rhythm. But he went off at turn four, dropped to sort of three quarters of the way to the back of the field, um, and ended up finishing 11th, which was the third Ducati home, I want to say. Reading was ahead of him, and I think that was it. I think he was was ahead of the other satellite Ducatis. Um, Mm -hmm. But as much as we want to give him a pass for that first lap mistake, we can't ignore the fact that had we had a qualifying session, Lorenzo would have been in Q1. So he wasn't exactly quick on Friday and Thursday either
1: no like 11 was about right for, for, for what for what he's been this weekend and that was mediocre there's there's no way of getting around that and I, I get it it's going to be a challenge for a guy that's ridden Yamaha's for the his entire top flight MotoGP career so this is going to be a big challenge for someone like him um, we all saw Valentino Rossi struggle when he went to, to Ducati as well because they are so different compared to how Yamaha and Honda are essentially and you know to be fair i think the desmond deschi was a terrible bike back then anyway i think it was more that than Valentino rossi himself but this is a different ballgame. game this is a this is a bike that you know delania and co have really worked hard to turn into into like the baseline bike of moto gp now given that so many riders are on a 15 a 16 or now a 17 like nearly half the field is on these as on these bikes now so this is a big representation because you've now got this bike throughout the field or similar models of this bike through the field and Lorenzo was thoroughly decimated by Scott Redding. And we've been pretty critical of Redding as of yeah. last season. And, you know, he, he was not, he was not good last season compared to Petrucci who missed time and still beat him in the championship after missing four rounds. So if that's, if like if this is what it's going to be for Lorenzo, then we might already be calling this move a bust because, like, he's got, he, like, given where Dovey is, like, that is the bare minimum, I would argue, quite frankly. Yeah, this mean, is one
0: know? of the circuits where yeah. this should have worked.
1: Absolutely. And this is, a, like, this is a circuit where this should have worked. And Dovi has been strong here for for years. And given that Ducati seemed to be adamant, right, that this is, like, that the riders have been the problem. I mean, there was no other way they'd get rid of Iannone if they thought the bike was the issue. They don't. They think it's a rider problem. And that's why they moved Iannone out and they were able to snag an alien in Jorge Lorenzo. And if you're Delaney, you must be thinking, right, Lorenzo can give us the two temps we need so we can start winning more races. And if he's that far back to start this season, then it's a write-off, because Bobby's not going to win a championship. Uh, I mean, I love the guy, but he's not going to be a title contender. And right now, if Lorenzo's that far back, this whole season might be a write-off before it's even started.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it is a bit of a concern for him. I mean... Was Lorenzo, did he go for the soft tyre as well? Uh, I'm thinking he did. I think both factory catcher riders went for the soft tyre. Um, and just lo- looking back at what Lorenzo said after the race, he said that he started to lose confidence in the tyres as the race went on. So perhaps he just destroyed his tyres as he was trying to come back through the field. Um, I think we'll, we'll we'll give him another few races and see how it sort of shakes out. Um, at the the races to come, although what worries me, I guess, is Argentina is not a circuit Lorenzo's ever got on with, um, and that's a circuit coming up next. Um, I don't think he's ever he's ever well, he's certainly never won there, I and mean, I think he's only ever had the one rostrum there um, two or three years ago. Um, yeah, yeah. So that would be a concern for for Jorge Lorenzo. Uh, his former teammate uh, Valentino Rossi ended up in third, um, which by his own admission, was not where he was expected to be by the end of Sunday night, given how his winter and how his weekend had gone. Um, through combined practice, he scraped into Q2 uh, in 10th, although that didn't matter in the because We never got a Q2. Um, so he started 10th. Um, and it depends how you read his comments and how much you genuinely think he's struggling, I guess, Dre, um, in terms of how impressive it was for him to finish third, because I think that was a pretty good rescue job.
1: It was a pretty good rescue job, and again, it makes you question just how much legitimacy there was in Valentino Rossi's comments, because, like, we get it, Rossi plays mind games, We know like, he's no idiot, we, we've known this for some time, see side pod kicks, but in the meantime, mm-hmm. like, Valentino Rossi's always been that guy, he likes he likes the drama, he likes, the, he likes people to, to go crazy over what he's got to say, because he's got a legion of fans, basically, so... You know, who care about his every move. Um, I don't think he was being ungenuine in what he was saying during testing and what he was saying during practice. He did look like he was struggling. There's no doubt about that, especially when Maverick was able to take this butt like a duck to water. Um, But... On the other side of the coin, Valentino Rossi has always been a Sunday man. That's how he's always been. He's always been stronger in races as opposed to qualifying. Like Lorenzo and Marquez in this era, and even Casey Stoner, you could argue and go back and say, they were all better qualifiers than him. Um, But Rossi was always able to put a solid race pace together. That's always been his greatest strength. So... I can't say I'm surprised because like Rossi's played this card before. He said, "Oh, this is, I've had a bad winter, bad testing," and he comes out and he almost wins because that's what Rossi does. He's the greatest rider of all time. <laughs> it's, it's, it's 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 part of the Rossi mantra at this point to play it down and then look surprised when he ends up doing really well. Uh, but um, in any case, great performance, and you know that was that was that was a champion's ride in the sense of that he, he it was a bad weekend and um, he was able to make the most of it, and he took a solid, pretty much on par for Rossi, third place. And that's the kind of performances you need, really. You you win the title on your bad days, not your good ones. So, yeah, for for, for Rossi, I don't think he can be too...
0: If he was genuine about his feelings, he can't be too mad at third place at all, really. I I think that's arguably better than he probably was expecting heading to Qatar when he got on the plane there a couple of weeks ago, certainly after how the test panned out. I think he thought he was genuinely... Um, in trouble and yeah i think we, we can't es- escape the fact that you know no matter how good or bad his bike was he had to come from 10th on the grid to get that um which which was no no mean feat to come from 10th on the grid to get a podium um you know this isn't quite well to white levels of uh coming through the grid it's not quite as easy as it is over there seemingly at the moment to come from the third row certainly if you are Jonathan ray anyway um so um so, so impressive an impressive showing um from Vantino. and I guess it gives him a bit of hope, doesn't it, for for the season ahead? I mean, we all, I think, with justification, we're saying seeing in pre-season, hey, it's going to be a two-horse race, this. It's going to be Maverick versus Mark uh, for the World Championship. And I guess Valentino will take heart from the fact that however bad winter's gone, and um, it, it was noticeable that Valentino spent most of the winter and most of Qatar talking about how bad his bike was. Maverick spent much of the winter and the weekend saying <laughs> the opposite. Um, and yet Valentino finished pretty much right behind him.
1: Absolutely, and let's be real here. Murdo GP is more interesting when Valentino Rossi is at the front. That's just the reality of it. And, yeah, I mean, we are, f- we, l- lest we forget, we're talking about the guy that has been runner-up the last three years. I mean, there's been various levels of beating regarding that, um, those three years of runner-up finishes, but Rossi was, you know, this close to a world title 18 months ago, and he's still as fine a rider as anyone in the world on his day, and, Like, for me, Rossi needs to win more races. It's as simple as that. He needs to win five or six, ideally, to be up there. I mean, he made a couple of uncharacteristic mistakes last year, which ultimately cost him the championship in Assen, Cota, etc. But if he can cut that out of his game, he will be in the mix. There's no question about that. And, like, he's on arguably the best bike. He's Valentino Rossi. He Like, on a bad day, he won't finish any lower than probably fourth. And he doesn't, for the most part, doesn't make those kind of mistakes that other riders have done in the past. So on the whole, he should be in there. I think the difference this year is that he needs to win races and he's got a very competitive teammate in Maverick Vignano. So if he's anything like as good as we think he is, he's going to win five or six because if Yamaha's on a good day, Maverick's got the pace, he's going to win more than likely. Mm. So like that's going to be the challenge. If Rossi can get one over on his teammate consistently... It's going to be interesting. Hmm. If not, so you have to wait and see how, this, how that one shakes out. But Rossi yeah. needs more wins, I would say.
0: Yeah, I would say so too. And uh, I think it certainly looks like it's perhaps not going to be the the blowout that it looked um, through testing <laughs> that Maverick was just going to crush him. Um, but we'll wait and see on that one. And what I did find interesting is how, for all the talk of sort of Mark being the young, the young buck and Valentino being the experienced head, it almost seems as if Valentino is sort of learning from Mark now. Um, in that towards the end of that race, when he realised the win wasn't on, he just basically settled for third. He's like, "I'm going to take these points, I'm going to need these points," um, yeah. rather than throw it at the scenery as he did in races like Mitegi last year um, and, and Assam last year when he was going for when he knew he had to go for results so he ended up crashing out. Um, it seems that like even Valentino is now recognising that that he needs to get the thing to the flag and get the points on the board. Um, I mean, Koto was another one last year where he he fell off and lost points to Mark. So. So Valentino looks like he's learning that too. Um, Mark himself finished fourth on the first of the Repsol Hondas, um, which is kind of par for the course for, for Repsol Honda in Qatar, um, Drape. But for a team that's had sort of two, three years now to work at this problem that we've been we've been seeing with this bike in recent years, it's only it can't be me that will have been a little bit alarmed seeing that Honda get absolutely left for dead at that final corner by Suzuki's of all bikes, and Pedrosa was even getting closed down out of the last corner by the Aprilia.
1: I do not understand why Honda seems to have gone all-in on IndyCar this season. It's very, <laughs> very weird. Um, yeah, we all know the F1 team's a bit of a write-off so far this season, and yeah. Yeah, the MotoGP, like, it's the same problems it just again. It
0: cannot get out of slow
1: corners, can it? I, I just don't get it. Like, like, And that's one of Marquez's greatest strengths is being able to fling a thing around a corner and get the power down earlier than anyone else, and because it was ridiculous lean angle abilities. But... It's the same shit again every year with Honda. It's the third year in a row we're talking about them having severe engine-related problems, and I know that the electronics haven't helped them either. But it's the same deal where they just they are they are struggling in terms of output and overall ability, and. I I don't get it like it's the same problems again it's just the drive coming out of these corners are not good enough their top speed is poor again as you said Suzuki have now got a faster bike in a top end at top end than Honda do like that's alarming
0: yeah like Marquez was heading onto the straight the main straight in Qatar ahead of Yonomi and ending by the time the finish line had arrived (laughs) he was way behind him
1: what can you do? Like the yeah. Suzuki's not
0: known. Like the Suzuki's not notorious for being quick in a straight line, is it?
1: No, it's not. And that, like that, is. I mean, for Honda, thank God the next two rounds for them are two rounds of them.
0: <laughs> almost
1: definitely win because he's a god at Cota and he's very good around Argentina as well. It masks those Honda problems to a large degree because Argentina's more, a lot more technical and Kota's anti-clockwise. But in any case, like. Marquez said in, in the press conferences that, you know, they'll get better later in the year, and they do tend to get better later in the year, to be fair to them. But the way this season's playing out, if Maverick really is this good, and if and if Maverick can win two or three more by the time we go back to Europe for a ref, or maybe not ref, maybe Catalonia by the time he get towards the, the, the summer months then this could be a problem for Marquez because he might have to make up too many points again and that might have to lead to Marquez taking risks. And You that...
0: might, might have to hope the two Yamahas are closely matched and that they, they yeah. cancel each other out um, and, and allow them to come back into it, it which is not good. But it is interesting and it was another great insight that David Emmett gave after the weekend in that of course, Honda this year, um, having run a Screamer engine for some years, running a Big Bang this year. Um, so it is a different engine. So they're almost having to start from scratch with the electronics on this bike. Um, so so David Emmett's sort of analysis is that that he's expecting Honda to get there uh, and to eventually sort of get to the bottom of these problems and maybe buy that sort of catalonia Assen time of the season. They'll be on top of things and Mark will be a serious contender again. Um, but there's no question that they're struggling at the moment. Um, and in terms of the championship, I mean, we've covered the three men who were expecting Um, to fight for this championship. What have we learned from that opening round? Because Qatar, in many ways, it didn't follow the traditional MotoGP form book, but it kind of followed the Qatar form book in in terms of Yamaha and Ducati looking quick, Honda slightly on their back foot. Um, So are we any closer to knowing how this championship is going to pan out than, than we were a couple of weeks ago, or is it pretty much panning out how we thought it would?
1: I was going to say, no. To I don't think we know anything yet. And like I said, it's not going to matter because Marquez has got a very good chance of winning the next two rounds. And then he'll he'll probably be leading the championship after that. So what's that going to tell you? Next mm. to nothing, because we know Honda's got problems. So I don't think we're going to know the true nature of how the season's going to play out until maybe Catalonia, maybe Le Mans sort of time. Because I think that's when we'll have a better idea of where things are at. Because like you say, Qatar is... Not a normal MotoGP round. It makes Chicali competitive. It, it has a habit of bunching a lot of guys together because of the toe effect. So you can get high-level lead impacts of four or five guys. So it's it's not a con- it's like Phillip Harlem. It's not a conventional circuit on the calendar, and it, it it's a, it's still a little bit too early to say. I mean, this this was a freak weekend for a, in a lot of circles. I mean, we saw Tech Three that were up there. We saw Scott Redding finishing in, in as high as seventh. We had Ianoni in the mix. We had Alex Rins quite far down the order, for example, or the other Suzuki. We've had, you know, Lorenzo out of whack compared to where he normally is. So we can't read too much into this one just yet. And like I said, the next two rounds, Argentina and Cota, are Marquez rounds. So again, like if Marquez leads the championship coming out of America, are we going to say he's his favorite? Probably not. So yeah. it's, it's one of those things where we're going to have to wait until. We, we, again, I don't want to give David. Props for this comment because I don't think it adds up. But the, the like, her ref is when the season really will start, quite frankly. Because again, that's a lot more conventional to normal form books. What was the first
0: three rounds on the calendar? Just aren't. Mm, I think a better way of putting it is that you, you say you can't win the championship, then but you can sure as so hell lose it. Um, as, as you could argue, Valentino did it. Coats last season because he never got those points back that he lost when he crashed. But- um, in the Grand Prix of the Americas, Lorenzo crashed in uh, in Argentina and never got those back really either. Um, the only thing, the only not caution, I'd sound for Marquez and you know those winning streaks, they're not going to last forever. Um, certainly, the, the the one in America, as amazing as it is, he's still unbeaten there um, in the Tour Americas. And and that's the question I'd ask: in that, you know, if Marquez wins in Argentina and America, he's looking good. But what if he doesn't? Um, that then and then I think the alarm bells start ringing uh, at Reptil right. Honda. So the pressure's kind of on for him to win there and to, to basically make most of his banker rounds um, whilst that Honda is in a bit of trouble. So, um, yeah, it's has fascinating to see how that one um, shakes out. Next round is at the uh, Tomás Rio Hondo circuit in Argentina a week on Sunday before uh, America is back-to-back with that um, let's talk about some of the other stories of the weekend then. Danny Pedrosa finishing in fifth, right behind Mark Marquez. But the big story really, Drew, was who finished right behind Danny Pedrosa. Who in God's name had money on Alicia Spargo finishing seven seconds off the win and sixth on the Aprilia? Not me. No. Except,
1: exceptional effort um, from Alicia Smagari there. It's almost like the worst bike you put him on, the better he performs. It's yeah. very weird. Um, he has this, he just has this knack of if the team is built around the leech, he tends to do very well. If it doesn't, he, t- he starts to struggle. Maybe he loses a bit of motivation when it's not his team. But if it is his team... Look at him go. Okay. And I, I guess this was an exceptional performance from Anish's I'm pretty sure that's the prettiest best finish since they've come back. Yeah, I think, um, I think it was it... their
0: best since 2003, I think I read somewhere.
1: <laughs> In the top class. Oh, my word. Like, like, their best result since the four-stroke era? Oh, yeah. my God. Um, but, um, yeah, as I, I said as an unbelievable result um, that is an incredible result for from, from, from Alicia Wagger he's done really really well there Um again like just getting the most out of a bike that we know is not on the level of the really big factories but uh a pretty will be delighted with that result knowing that at least was you know this bike can get in the top six and mix with the best in the world um on its day and again i will have to wait and see um maybe in the later rounds to see where exactly they play out whether this was a one-off whether this is actually something more serious we'll have to wait and see but um, in the meantime, at least they'll be popping the bubbly back back home in, in Italy because that was a stunning result from Elise. Like that's one of the best I've seen him ride in, in in a couple of years, I would say.
0: Yeah, yeah, it was it was a brilliant, brilliant showing. And um, as I, as I mentioned earlier on, it was you know, even he was making time on Honda at the final corner, um, which which was astonishing. Um, yeah, I'm just looking it up. Um, according to yeah, Neil Morrison says it was their best result in MotoGP since their factory <laughs> come back to the series in '15. Um, mm-hmm. And according to this is unverified, I'm going to look it up. But according to uh, one tweet I'm finding, it was a prettiest best motor GP finish <laughs> since the 2000 British Grand Prix. Oh, um, for God's sake! <laughs> which was um, who was that? That was McWilliams, I think, on the uh, on the uh, where he got a podium, where he got third um, in the British Grand Prix, um, which was a wet race, in case you're wondering. Um, but that was it's their best result since then. Um, so, a pretty as best Moto or premier class Grand Prix result for 17 years um, from, from Spargo. Um which is friggin' insane. Um, and if we look where Sam Lowe's finished, Dre, he finished last of those that finished. He was 17th um, in the end, or 18th behind Bradley Smith uh, on the second of the KTMs. Um, and you know, he was a rookie, so you have to put that into some co- so kind of context that you know, he's, he's going to get better as the season goes on. But be 40 seconds behind Alicia kind of shows you that that performance was as much as we give a pretty credit, a lot of that was just lace being incredible.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, okay, like, I'm not sure which Aprilia is the better baseline between Alicia and Sam Lowe's at this point. We'll have to wait a couple of rounds to see where that, how that shakes out. But I think, like, I think, uh, by any measure, that was an incredible ride from Alicia Spagaro. Mm-hmm. And. It, this was sam Low's first ever moto gp race and you know like alex rin struggled too in the, on that suzuki as well so it's it's it, it not every rookie uh, not every rookie is created equal and that's something we've got to point out here yeah. mm. some riders develop differently than others and maybe some, we're not all mark marquez we're not all maverick vineyards they're going to be fast right out of the box, and. Um, so you know, it's it's a situation where you don't quite know for sure what what the best scenario is here. But in any case, great performance from Elise, and hopefully Sam will put it together in the next couple of rounds or so. Yeah, it's
0: mean, only,
1: only going to get better. Yeah, think. I think
0: give it give him time, and I'm sure he'll start <laughs> to figure it out. Um, Wait, were, were we just nice about those brother on this show and Bex wasn't here? I know. Well, yeah. Well, let, let's let's move on quickly before she finds out. Yeah. so um, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, Aleish, a stunning start for him on on the at sixth place. And as I say, was he just seven seconds off the win? Um, which exactly. I, I never thought I'd ever be saying that about a Prudie Moto Grand Prix this early. Um, slight sort of quirk and slight bizarre scenario: the fact that he won the Independence Award. Um, for the for the weekend. Because of the bizarre quirk in the rules that because April joined an already independent team in Grossini, um, they're still officially an independent entry. Even though they're a factory manufacturing uh-huh. team. Uh-huh. So so yeah, a Bargrove, if you only why he was in part fame as the part fame as the top independent, that's why. Um, although a are a manufacturer team in everything else. Um, but the name. Um seventh place going to Scott Redding, um, on the uh Pramat um, and yeah, This is the kind of thing that he's got to do, isn't it, Dre, to safeguard his spot in MotoGP? Because Bex and I said last week, and Bex didn't enjoy this conversation, I have to say, in that this is pretty much make or break this year for Scott Reading. He's got to deliver. Otherwise, he's probably going to be on the scrap heap in MotoGP. Um, and solidly outpaced and outperformed Petrucci on the 2017 Ducati, because Reading's on the 16. Um, was quickest in FP2, which I think stunned us all. Um, and then went to prove that that wasn't actually as big a fluke as we thought because he qualified fairly well. Because obviously, that time put him on the second row of the grid and finished seventh.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was a. Um, whew. Oh man, that was an exceptional um, weekend from Scott Redding there. That was as comfortable as he's looked in MotoGP, especially in the dry for yeah, the most part. Bad, so. considering
0: he got sideswiped by Zarco on the first lap.
1: Exactly. So to still come back through that and finish in seventh, like Redding clearly had some wheels on him this weekend. Um, Again, a bit early days. Because we Again, we, we saw that Petrucci missed four rounds and he ended up coming back and beating Redding over the course of the season. So we're not sure as to where this is going to shake out overall because, again, Redding has let us down on many occasions before. He's had just as many good days as, as bad ones. Oh, over his MotoGP career so far, but that is an excellent start. And, and given that Petrucci crashed, it's a, it's it's a ten-point advantage right off the gate, and he'll gladly
0: take that. Yeah. Get those points <laughs> on the board. Um, if if you're uh, if you're Scott Reading, just get those points banked now um, because you might as well need them um, as the season goes on. Um, I guess if we're, if we're if we're truly talking about top independents, it was Scott Redding uh, on the pramat Ducati. Because I don't care what anyone says, Alicia Spargo is not an independent entry. Um, he's, on no. a, he's on a factory bike, for heaven's sake. Um, Jack Miller getting eighth, which is another good result. I, I'd go as far as to say that's probably his best drive finish. I'm going to look that up. Um, so obviously we all know he won He won in the wet on uh, on the BDS Honda last season, but I'm pretty sure he did have a seventh last year, but that was Saxon Ring. So Again, that was a uh, rain-affected race. He got an eighth in Malaysia last year. Um, which uh, was no that was wet as well wasn't it because Dovey won there so yeah it is his best ever dry finish uh, in a Moto Grand Prix race so congratulations to Jack Miller for that um, he in, in all seriousness is actually looking like he has made that step up that we were looking for last year he
1: has and remember Mark VDS was the worst team in the field uh, like last season and they like Rabat has still struggled on that team since he got into MotoGP but it, it's starting to look like the gamble on Jack Miller after four years is actually starting to pay off a little bit yeah. now. It's nice to see Miller in the top 10 running well. Again, we'll have to wait and see how this goes on. We're still, still so unsure about how this roster is now the yeah. general performance is because Qatar is such an equaliser. But, Hey, take the points where you can get them. Eighth place is an, is an outstanding result from Miller, and in the dry as well. So we don't want him to be a, <clears throat> excuse me, a a, a, a esque like rain weather guy. Um, <laughs> God, I've got the sneezes on me, jeez. <laughs> Tickle your nose. That was not. That was not. That was not a pretty sound. <laughs> but um, that was a. That was a pretty outstanding performance from Jack Miller there. And again, hopefully more to come in the dry as well as in the wet. <laughs>
0: Yeah, and uh, just to round upon the result then. Vinales is the winner from Davizioso and Rossi. That, that was your podium. Marquez and Pedroza fourth and fifth for Honda, ahead of Alicia Spargo on the Aprilia. Uh, Sixth him. Scott running seventh. Jack Miller eighth. Top rookie across the line was Alex Rins in ninth on the Suzuki. Um, Jonas Folger, having had a brilliant weekend, up and the race, seemed to disappear in the race before coming back to take tenth, ahead of Lorenzo in eleventh. Loris Baz twelfth. Um, then the rest of the points was pretty much entirely rounded out by a series of privateer Ducatis, with Baz beating his team at Barbara to twelfth. Uh, Barbara was thirteenth. Carol Abraham getting points on his return in fourteenth, and the final point went to Tito Rabat on the second of the VDS Hondas in fifteenth. Three other finishers who failed to score. Sam Lowe's we've mentioned, finished eighteenth, um, just ahead of him were the two KTM's of Paulus Bagger and Bradley Smith, sixteenth and seventeenth. Two race distances, I guess, is the um, positive line that KTM will look to take from that. I mean, they, they, went, with, they, they went within half-minute, second, uh, half minute, should I say, of the win. Um, Paul was 33 seconds off the win, I think, uh, at the end of the race. Uh, and Bradley, uh, having had a couple of problems towards the end, who was right behind Paul, ended up finishing about four seconds further back. Um, mm-hmm. This was probably not the circuit where we're going to see the best of KTM, Dre, I think it's fair to say. Um, so I guess they'll probably take the comfort from the fact that they got both bikes to the flak
1: yeah they, they completely get a race distance and yeah that's that's a positive step i mean we, we didn't even get that in some of the early suzuki cases so you've got to take it where you can get it that like that it, they'll have some good data underneath them they know they, they know more about the bike now they've got both bikes over the line for a race that's a good start um reliability is always a, it's always a huge factor in moto gp so yeah, again i'm I'm glad they're able to get both bikes over the line. This is going to be a work in progress. This is going to be a long slog for KTM. And they've got a lot of catching up to do compared to the rest of the field, especially given that Suzuki, you know, who were in that same spot two years ago, probably had a better baseline to start off with than we actually thought they did back then when Randy DePunier basically gave us a bad idea of what, of what how fast they really were. Um, but... It, like ktms have seemingly got a lot more work to do than suzuki do but hopefully the law of diminishing returns will kick in and they'll 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 make they'll make the gap up and they'll, they'll get up there but um o- overall you know not the best of starts but they got both bikes over the line and they got to start somewhere so mm. let, let, let let the hard work begin basically. yeah
0: exactly and um yeah i was looking at suzuki's First, first race a couple of years ago, which is why I knew that Suzuki were in terms of time they were closer with Elia Spargro Well, again, that is Alicia Spargro on a, on a, in, on a sort of underdog uh, bike who did a great <laughs> job in Qatar again two years ago, um, where he was 20 seconds off the win. So they were almost half half the distance from from the race winner than, a, than KTM were this weekend, but. <sighs> Yeah, it, as I said to Bex last week, it does sound, and I know this is early days, and this may wear thin if they're still at the back of the field by mid-season, but they do seem to have two riders who are very much in for the long haul there, who understand what they've got themselves in for uh, at KTM, and I know he's upbeat at the best of times, he's a pretty upbeat guy, but, but Bradley Smith, it was it really struck me how happy Bradley was after the race with what KTM got done um, in Qatar, he genuinely seemed delighted with their, with their, their night's nice work, so... Um, I'll take that at face value for now, uh, and they seem pretty happy with with their start. And you know, as you say, the hard work starts now for KTM um, to see if they can close that gap uh, as the season goes on. They, as we, I think we heard, testing that they might be taking a new engine to Argentina. Um, so yeah, so we'll see because they were they were thinking of maybe running that in the race in Qatar, but chose not to after the test. So they're going to take that to Argentina. So so we'll see um, if they're a little bit closer uh, there as the season goes on. Um, before we move on to the lower classes, Dre. I mean, we've I said this last week. We've waited four months for this, and it's probably fair to say, race winner aside, um, the Formula One uh, season uh, opener didn't quite live up to the hype in terms of entertainment. But what a race we got in MotoGP. GP! What a fantastic way to start the season. Qatar as a circuit, as you say, given that it tends to close the field up, pretty much always delivers for a season opener.
1: It does. It's a great opener. It's a great spectacle. And you know, I, for a good while, I thought we were not going to have a Grand Prix this weekend. And the fact that we got one and the fact that it was pretty darn good, I will happily take that. Um, and as you say, Qatar is an excellent equalising sort of circuit where it's hard to get a real advantage over anybody else. So that always produces good racing. And we've got another example of that here.
0: Yeah, it was well worth the wait in the end. The opening model GP race of the season. i I say, next round is in Argentina. Um, in a week and a bit from now. Let's go on to Moto 2 then, because this was the class that was probably the hardest to predict heading into the new season, given the uh, pretty much the refresh that it's had of riders moving up, riders moving up from Moto 3, um, and riders moving up from Moto 2 to Moto GP to give us a pretty new new field for this season. But in the end, Dre, the front of the field looked rather familiar, didn't it? Uh, after the opening Moto 2 round of the season, uh, the three men on the podium that have had many a Moto 2 podium before. But a brand new winner in the form of Franco Morbielli who finally got it done for Mar Yes.
1: Hey, finally. Congratulations, Frankie Morbidelli. Um, a, a long a long and much-deserved first win. He's been knocking on the door for ages on that one. I think mean, he had seven or eight podiums last year, but didn't have a race win. Um, and he, he did it in style. He looks very impressive indeed out there. Made it look very, very easy. Broke the toe early on and then just didn't look back. And uh, Thomas Lucy just didn't have an answer for him back there. So, yeah, Frankie Morbidelli, great, great performance, a, a much-deserved first win. And, it, you know, it looks like Mark VDS has got a real good package underneath them again this year, like maybe from a couple of years ago from the Rabat era. But it was Rabat and Callio, and, and they were really, really strong that year, too. It could be another case because, again, we'll talk about him in a minute, but Alex Marquez was very impressive, too. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, Mark VDS seems to have got their got their stuff together real quick on this one. And, yeah, Morbidelli hitting the ground running for that first win.
0: Yeah, this is a team that knows what it takes in Moto Two uh, to get it done. And yeah, what really amazed me about Morbidelli—perhaps it should surprise me—but given that this is a guy who hadn't won in the class before, it really surprised me just how dominant he was. Uh, I mean, I know Moto Two does—it doesn't tend to get the sort of pack finishes that Moto Three provides, and you know, Moto GP to a point in Qatar, Moto Two tends to be a little more spread out um, yeah. in the races we see. But I wasn't expecting a Morbidelli checkout lights to flag win, would you?
1: Not in a million years um like you say like it's it's a bit more spread out in moto 2 but at the front it doesn't tend to be because at the front it tends to be a bunch of cadexes and that's how it's been it's basically spec series at the front at this point with the with the odd suit to chip it in but yeah as you say like it's hard to 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 win a race in moto 2 lights to the flag there's always almost two or three guys that are in there at any given weekend that can win and they will they'll stay with the leaders and whatnot but
0: Morbidelli made that
1: look very, very easy. Jeez, um, I, I did not think he would go like the flag like that. Very impressive indeed. Great pace and just didn't let up. And, you know, to be fair, Lucy was behind him, had had to deal with the, the threats behind. But in any case, yeah, Morbidelli, superb performance. Just completely dominant.
0: Yeah, and a, a well, uh, well-deserved first win for Morbidelli. We've been waiting for it for so long. Um, for Frankie to finally get that first win in the intermediate class and he's got it now and yeah, as, as we've said before, he, he's the kind of guy that's probably going to go on and win a ton of them now. He's got his first win on the board. Now the floodgates have opened. Um, so beware, everybody, in Moto2. Um, on to my preseason tip for the title, Thomas Lutie, who, who finished second. Um, it, would Thomas Lutie be right for being a little bit worried now, Dre, that he's so often the nearly man, so often the second guy, and just as uh, the top guys move out of the class, another guy <laughs> arrives to beat him and he's second again? Oh, no.
1: Not again, Lutie. Um, yeah, it's, it's it's a bit worrying, I can't lie. There's um, always
0: somebody who just seems to be a level up from him.
1: Yeah, there's always someone that's just a little bit quicker than old Thomas. And it's like, Thomas is 30 years old now. He's no spring chicken, and he's still desperate to get that second world title. But, um, yeah, in any case, geez, Lutie... Um, he, he's a. It's not so much he finished in second. It's the, it's the way he finished in second yeah, place. He was multiple. Yeah, two and a half seconds off Morbidelli, and that's that's not good enough for Luti He's good. Like you know, he's he's going to want to win or at least be competitive against the person that's winning. And if Morbidelli's got an extra couple of attempts, he's found this year, then Luti <laughs> could be in trouble again. It could be another case of. Uh, him being a nearly man which would be very sad for him given that he's he's always been an elite rider in moto two and has been for three or four years now but he's never had quite enough to win a championship um and yeah it looks like frankie might have the number on him here which is concerning to say the least
0: yeah it is and um i mean what's interesting about moto two whilst obviously we can't take too much from the first round in terms of an overall format for the season but that top three does look like a sort of championship top three, doesn't it? With Morbidelli, Luti and Takaki Nakagami taking third place. Um, another, another of those guys who was sort of next in line behind the the four that dominated or the four that moved up from last season. Folger wasn't necessarily as dominant as the three ahead of him who fought for <laughs> the championship. Um, but that looks like a championship top three to me, doesn't it, Morbidelli, Luti Nakagami?
1: It does look that way. and Ekagami was very fast in testing as well and you know it thinks he's back to the, the Taka days of when he was at a Taltrans and he was knocking on the door for the first win. Um like Taka looks very good indeed and he looks like he's really found another step this year. And I've said it before MotoGP needs more needs more Japanese influence. I mean mm. the, the the Japanese market has completely tailed off in the last five or six years. Um, and Taka is still the best hope coming out of that country for a seat, and maybe this will be the year that Taka finally puts it all together because he's, he's been fast it was fast all weekend he was fast in pre-season testing he led multiple sessions uh, um, back then and again looks very comfortable running in third there he, he's always been strong around Qatar anyway I mean he famously had that second place to the Mark VDS boys that was later dq for a part that didn't give him any sort of performance advantage yeah. uh, so you know poor tacker and all that he's always you know been a bit of a nealy man as well in his own right but he's he's looking stronger and stronger as the years have, have gone by the experience has racked up so again maybe this could be tacker's year too um mm. still got to wait and see on that one but he, he's looked like an elite rider now in the class for the first time in maybe three or four years.
0: Yeah, you're right. MotoGP needs, needs some strong Japanese input, not just from manufacturer side, but from <laughs> riders. And, and I think that's why uh, Honda are so keen on Sasaki for, for Moto3. He's moved up to yeah. class this season, the, the Red Bull Rookies champion. Um, Honda really liked that kid. And you can kind of see why, because he's, because he's fast and he's, he's Japanese. And um, we'll, we might mention him in a little bit because he had a, a decent debut uh, in the Moto3 class for his first ever Grand Prix um, this season. So um, we might mention him in a bit. But sticking to Moto2, and as I say, that three that finished on the podium looks like a championship top three of Mordelli, Luti, and Akagami. A bit early to see whether Oliveira and KTM will figure in the mix, but that's a career best for me, Oliveira. It's easy to forget that this is only his second Moto2 season, um, yeah. the start of his second Moto2 season. So he's got a year's experience in this class. So for him to finish fourth with so little experience in the class is impressive enough, but for KTM on their very first to Grand Prix, they've both, both Viner and team, have got to take a lot of promise from the fact that they were so quick, so early, fourth in their very first round. Behold the dentist.
1: The um, dentist. Yeah. Absolutely, um, yeah. Miguel Oliveira has always been a rider I've really, really liked for a long time. His his race craft has always been stunning. Um, we all saw it in the second half of twenty fifteen in Moto three, and you know, he had a decent Moto two rookie season. It, it wasn't a, a glowing year for yeah, rookies. Injury in hit. It was injury hit. Danny Kent wasn't particularly impressive either and it was just it was just kind of a bad year for the rookies and it was a really stacked class that year but i have to say that was a a very very impressive performance from miguel Oliveira. that was ktm's first ever race in moto Two, and they've got something if he can run in fourth like that they've clearly got something here and you know if again i'm not sure how much this is down to qatar but we'll have to to wait and see but miguel's had moments where he's ran in top 10s before Keith Ewing's cursed him on commentary, <laughs> but in any case, but Oliveira's had some strong moments in rookie t- in Moto2 as a rookie already. So this is another one. So here's hoping KTM's got a competitive package because I, I would like to see a change from just the days of Suta, or, or the days of Suta being completely dominant, or Kalex being completely dominant. I'd like to see another... Like top tier, you know, chassis designer up there and make Moto Two just a more desirable class rather than it being just a Canek show again. So, mm. in any case, a, a great performance from Miguel Oliveira there, and he's, he's best in Moto Two so far. And if
0: KTM can keep this going, he, he could be worth an outside shot at the title, definitely. Yeah, definitely. I think he's definitely going to win it for a couple of rounds as the season goes on, and just and I hope he does. Not least because, like you, know, I, I really rate Oliveira, but also just once again, I think that bike looks beautiful. Uh, that Red Bull KTM yeah. um, in all three classes. It's got the same livery. I think it looks gorgeous, um, mm-hmm. and all the era going very, very well on it. Alex Marquez finishing fifth. Um, now that's for Alex Marquez in Moto2. Fifth is pretty good, has to be said. Um, but from starting second on the grid, looking like he was every bit the match for his teammate in pre-season testing, he's, he can't be happy with finishing 11 seconds off his teammate, winning the Grand Prix, surely.
1: No, that's 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 not a good look, and it's it's, it's weird because like Alex Marquez is still such a like an interesting case in Moto Two because last year towards the end of the season Marquez was starting to put it together. Yeah, he had that great. I think it was the f- third place I want to say at Aragon last season, and he, God, Ooh, he was the,
0: Hold on, What's was it about? second or third? I think, it, I think, I think it was second actually. We'll check on that. We'll check that. But he, yeah, he to to finish. Like I say, for Alex Marquez, in his career, fifth in Moto2 is is about right. Um, yeah, he was second to Aragon last season, second to yeah. Sam Lowe's um, in, in the dry. But but yeah, he we, we, we were genuinely talking about him last week on this show, and I know you mentioned it almost, but 101, as is Alex Marquez is a title challenger. He's one of the favourites for the title um, this season. So for him to just be completely smoked by his teammate um, and to finish, I mean, he was near to Luca Marini in sixth and he was to Oliveira in fourth um mm-hmm. that just that strikes me as alex marquez being alex marquez in moto two again of showing a lot of potential but ultimately not quite fulfilling it
1: yeah like, like it's marquez has always been such a curious case where that's concerned where it's like it's, it's weird because like on his on a good day he's very very good and on a bad day he's terrible and like it's, I just don't know how good Alex Marquez truly is at this point and that's the most concerning thing about it where sure fifth on the face of it is a good result for Alex Marquez the downside is is his teammate is now looking like he could be a he could be title favourite by the looks of it now because Morbidelli was so good out there and he's really really improved the last year and a half Morbidelli and marquez is still seemingly about the same sort of guy he's always been you know accident prone makes makes critical mistakes but has always had good good levels of pace so he, i think he will be a bit disappointed that he lost so badly to his teammate but you know fifth is still fifth it's still you know half decent points we just got to wait and see how this plays out i suppose um I've said that a lot this episode, unfortunately, because it's still such the, the opening round. But
2: yeah. with Marquez,
1: you never quite know what you're going to get, unfortunately. And, you know, I would just like to see some consistency out of him as opposed to him being so up and down.
0: Yeah, it is. And um, I guess if there's one positive take for Marquez, it took him until Austria last year to have a top six. Um, so to get one in the opening round is a solid start for him. But he certainly won We all want to close that gap between himself and his teammate. Luca Marini had a good showing. He beats his teammate, the high rated Lorenzo Baldassari. Um, Mm. they were 6th and 8th so um, shout out to Luca Marini I think that equals his career best uh, in Moto2 because I'm sure he had a top 6 at one point last season yes he did he had one in the wet race at the Saxon ring uh, last season so uh, equalling his best in the class um, Luca Marini half-brother of to give him his full name Um, in between the two forward riders was Fabio Quattararo who um, was the first rookie home uh, in Moto2 and um, yeah kind of I mean there's been two schools of thought with Quattararo about moving up to Moto 2. One that, and it's kind of understandable that this is way too early for Quattararo, who's still only 17, um, would you believe? Um, but there was the other school of thought that I think he came out with that he was already, because he was so quick as a junior in Junior World Championship winning that class before ever arriving at Grand Prix, by the time he did arrive at Grand Prix, he was too big for Moto 3 bikes. Um, so moving up to Moto2 might sound early, but if he's too big for the bikes, he's too big for the bikes, and he's clearly looking at home on a Moto2 already. It's seventh on debut.
1: Yeah, it's like Lorenzo Baldassari we mentioned earlier. Again, another big guy that was probably just too big for Moto3. Jonas Vogel was another similar case of guys that are like you know are hovering around the six foot mark. And puberty has, has given Quattara a nice little podium spot here in terms of you know popping them up the field a little bit there um yeah i think it's like it's it's funny because i know Claire was always described Kotoraro as a horsepower rider which was kind of a weird analogy but it seems to actually make some sense if you're a bigger guy you're going to want to be on a bigger bike because you'd be more comfortable on it it's as simple as that and quattro was never the best moto yeah, three the weight penalty is not going to affect you quite as much yeah. exactly the the, the the compromise the compromise on weight is not going to hit you i mean
0: it, it's I one mean, thing sure. you don't want
1: to be in moto three is heavy <laughs> No, 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 no. I know there's a minimum weight limit anyway, so everyone's going to be about the same at least. terms because the the guys that are lighter will get the balance to cancel that out. But in any case, you know, in terms of weight balance, that might be where the big issue is for a guy of of Quattro size. Like I said, he's he's, he's clearly a growing boy. He's only going to get a bit bigger. He's, he's, He's 17. He's probably not even finished growing yet, to put that into perspective. So yeah, I mean, maybe the bigger bike will suit him and again, a fantastic debut performance of Grosso to finish in the top 8 there, um, first ever Moto2 race, he's only 17 years old, maybe he is some working out something there, jeez hmm.
0: Yeah, and uh, in terms of in terms of the rest of the rookies, I mean, Brad Binder had a difficult start, it's fair to say. I mean, we, we need to take into account that Brad Binder's had an injury hit start to, to 2017. He broke his arm um, last winter in testing and has been sort of working his way back to fitness. So he hasn't really had the, the pre-season prep that, that the rest of them have had. He finished 20th um, on his debut Moto2 race. Um, currently Idan Pau, finished down to 28th. Jorge Navarro crashed. Um, Stefano Manzi was 29th um, on his debut as well. Uh, but the other rookie who did impress us, not just with his race performance, finished 12th, um, but he was quickest in free practice too, Peco Paniaya, um on the vr 46 bike on the Calyx. Um He's another rider, only 18 seconds off the win, and look at some of the guys he beat. He beat Danny Kent, he beat Xavier Simeon, he beat Marcel Schrotter, he beat Yoni Hernandez, who's down from MotoGP. Um, he's another guy who we looked at that and thought, hey, that's a bit early to be going to MotoGP. He's only just got his first Moto3 win, but again, another rider who looks at home in the class.
1: Absolutely. Um, again, Peko was a big surprise me for us in FP2 on the Friday. Um, very impressive indeed. And like you say, I think... I was the guy, I was of the school that thought that he probably should have had one more year in Moto3 and really challenged for the title because, like Mahindra was Siemens, to closed the gap a lot by the time the end of the season came along, and he was right in there. Maybe a year, maybe with the VR46, like Honda or KTM package as a full factory rider over there, basically might, might have made him a top tier title contender um, instead. But yeah, he's put him, they put him in Moto2, and you know, it seems it seems to be natural for him. Again, another guy that seems to have. Been able to make it work for him. So, uh, yeah, right now, very impressive stuff.
0: Yeah, very impressive from him. And uh, let's run you through the result then in order to two. And uh, the championship standings, of course, mirror this. So, um, yeah, I I won't bother reading this out twice for the championship standings. But Franco Morbidelli, the winner, 25 points. He's five ahead of Thomas Luti who finished second. Nakagami in third. Oliveira fourth. Alex Marquez fifth. Then came Luca Marini and Lorenzo Baldessari Sixth and eighth either side of the impressive Quattararo, who got seventh. Chavi Vieje 9th on the Tech 3. I can't tell you how good a result that was for him. Um, kind of that, that kid quietly continues to impress me on that bike. He was ninth. Axel Pons got 10th. And then the rest of the points were rounded out by Dominic Agata, who was the first of the suitors' home. Um, Peko Banyaya 12th. Danny Kent, 13th. Um, his weekend looked like he was going to deliver a lot more than that, but it ended up with just the 3 points. Jesco Raffin in 14th for 2 points. And Xavier Simeon getting the final point in 15th. Um, so that's your rider Championship. The Constructors look like this. Kalex the uh, leaders of it, of course, 25 points for them. KTM a second though, on 13, courtesy uh, of Oliveira. Then come Tech 3 in third. They're ahead of Suter, courtesy of Vieche's performance and Agata's 11th. means that Suter are fourth out of four on five points. Uh, let's talk Moto3 then. And um, it's, it's good to see, Dre, that given the rider changes in Moto3, of course, we've lost three of last season's top four from this class, the Moto3 is still the same wacky just rollercoaster ride that it always has been. Another great Grand Prix. A 13 bike fight for the win this time.
1: Oh no. That's far too low these days. Um, <laughs> but yeah. A fantastic. Moto3 race as per usual. Qatar never fails to deliver for Moto3 and just another ridiculous race. Bikes going 5 or 6 wide into turn 1. Which is just absolutely ridiculous. Multiple toes and you, you name it, you've seen it in Moto3. And it, it was like a greatest hits version out there of many of the usual pretenders of old in the field there. And some new guys in, in the mix, which we'll talk about in a minute. But, uh, yeah, absolutely superb race indeed. Um, great strategy, great back and forth. A lot of people trying different things to make it interesting. And just overall, a really solid race.
0: Yeah, yeah. Some, some really interesting names that ended up in that lady group that perhaps we wouldn't have expected. I mean, uh, Jorge Martín had pole position by virtue of free practice setting the grid. We didn't get a qualified session, of course, as we've covered already. So Jorge Martín had pole position. He was in the middle of that leading group. Which I think that's probably the first time we've seen him contend for a win in the dry because he had that podium in the wet at Bruno behind McPhail last year. Um, but that was that was in the wet. So it's probably the best we've seen from him in the dry. We saw Aaron Cannon, who spent much of last, much of last year looking very quick before crashing in a good position. He was up there too. Um, we saw the Red Bull KTMs up there of Antonelli and Ben Schneider. Ben Schneider crashed early on when he was looking good. He was quick through pre practice. Uh, we saw Philippe Erthel, who was on the front row. He then took out Juan Frank Guevara midway through with a dive bomb that didn't quite work out for him. Um, and in the end, it descended into a straight final, the final lap between Joanne Mier, last year's Rookie of the Year, and John McPhee of the British talent team, uh, both on Hondas. Uh, and you could tell he was the British talent team rider, given how much the British BT Sport commentators were cheering for him on the yeah. final lap. Um yeah, Kiti was just about calmed down from uh, from his final lap. Um, from his final <laughs> lap, shenanigans, to use his favourite like, favourite word. Um, but Joanne Mir, hanging on in the end, or well, hanging on is probably the wrong word, he looked pretty good for it uh, on that final lap. And um, as we were talking about off-air before we started recording this show, um, that Joanne Mir victory kind of reminded us of the kind of victories that the likes of Binder and Oliveira took in recent years, because he won by <laughs> 0.1 of a second, but you always looked like he just about had it under control.
1: He was always in the mix. He was always... I think, as, as hewan said on commentary when he wasn't cheering for John McPhee, he was the guy that led the most, without question. He, he always was, seemed to I have that
0: com- little bit of extra speed out the last corner to beat guys to the line.
1: Yeah, he was always leading over the line. On Whenever he got a decent toe, he would always lead... It. That's important. He was always leading over the line. And into turn one, he was one of the strongest guys in the field. And on that final lap, he, he, he was able to take... Yeah, McPhee led it through turn one, but Mir got him back quite quickly and Mir was able to put about five butt limits on him by the time he got off the last corner. So by that point, nobody could tow him over to the line. So Mir, very, very mature performance from Joanne Mir. He's, he's, he's clearly been reading the Miguel Oliveira form book um, from, from last year and just being able to say, you know, okay, I'm, I'm going to put my bike here. I'm going to make my move now. And I'm going to make sure that no one can get me basically. So, yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I completely agree. It was a very mature performance, very Binder and oliveira esque in their days at Red Bull KTM. So uh, very impressive indeed from Mir.
0: Yeah, and already dispelling one of the uh, the fears that I had about him and about that team heading into the season because it's the third straight year that they've changed bikes, uh, uh, that team. They, of course, had Honda in 15 when Daddy Kemp won the title then switched to the KTMs for last year and then switched back to Honda again um, for 2017. But Mia winning straight away on it. Um, and as we spoke about before we started this show we picked we up the rookies from last season like Bulliger Canet, uh, Dijan Antonio um, etc picked the wrong one guys because <laughs> I, yeah. I picked Bulliger for the championship we didn't have you on last week so we never got to hear who your prediction for the Motor 3 title was but yeah maybe we kind of forgot the guy who was actually the best of the lot last year mm-hmm yeah,
1: it's 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 kind of a small factor, you know. It may or may not have played into things
0: just a little bit. Just 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 throwing out there, you know, as you do. Yeah, do you know I mean? uh, he's actually he's actually the oldest of the lot. He's think he's into his twenties already, Joanne. Um, absolutely. So, um, yeah, he's got no lack of experience in Moto three, and yeah, what a what a classy victory. Kind of similar to that Austria win last year, where he won so well on his first ever win, where he just looked so good about it. He didn't. There was no flukiness in It, it was such a beautifully judged victory uh, for Joanne. Second, then, going to John McPhee, um, powered by Hewan. Um, and to, to be fair, we, we piled the pressure on this guy, didn't we, a couple of weeks ago when we spoke about the launch of this British talent team and McPhee for this season and about this is a guy that has to start doing some winning this season. Um, this is a guy that has to be you know, a front-running contender and really a championship fighter. So to his credit, he did exactly what we were hoping for.
1: Absolutely. Um, that was that was what we expected from McPhee. But the interesting thing is that again, I and mean, Hewitt wasn't cheerleading for for McPhee, which was most of the race. He also came out and said, that, like McPhee is now the second most experienced man in the entire field, and the oldest. This is, and he's the oldest guy. This, this is not his first pony show. McPhee should be this good. So we mentioned it when we talked about the British Talent Cup, and that McPhee is its ambassador. Really needs to step up this year and be a true title threat which he never really has been so yeah I mean, that's, a, that's a very good opening round for McPhee you know, I mean Sek- you are never going to be too mad at a second place in Moto3 given the circumstances of how they race So second was a pretty overall, pretty solid result. I don't think he could be too mad about that. And he will take that going forward. And he'll definitely be one to watch this season if he's able to keep that up.
0: Mm. Yeah, he is. And he he had to come from quite a way back as well. It's it's difficult to find the actual grid lineup Because you can't just go and look up a qualifying result. Because there wasn't a quality session. So you have to try and amalgamate the the practice sessions. But I'm sure he was sort of mid-teens on the grid. Um, given that he hadn't had the greatest of free practice um, sessions uh, at John McPhee, he wasn't really particularly stellar uh, in any of them. Um, yeah, Looking through the grid line, John McPhee was, uh, I believe he was 13th on the grid, McPhee. Uh, no, 12th on the grid, uh, just ahead of Bulliger, who was 13th. So he had to come from a little way back to do that as well, um, did Scott. So it's a credit to him um, doing exactly what we kind of expected from him. Um, but as I say, there were a number of riders in this leading group. It was a, it was as high as thirteen at one point before Ertel took Guevara out, and the uh, the Spanish circuit riders started to <laughs> fade. Um, but Jorge Martin completing the podium. Uh, Dreyer, this is another rider who's taken his time to to get to grips with this in, in Moto Three. He came into the class with a big reputation as the Red Bull rookies champion um, when he came into this class in twenty fifteen, um, and. A slightly fortuitous pole, we have to say, because he got it, he got pole position by virtue free practice. But he backed it up, didn't he? In the race, he showed that it wasn't just a a fortunate pole that he was genuinely quick and point two off the win and a first dry podium for him.
1: Yeah, dry, dry podium for all Martin. And yeah, again, like you say, you could you could argue about the legitimacy of his pole position, but you couldn't argue with it with him on race day. He was right in there, you know, led on on several occasions. Was was was. Every bit of contender for the win in that, as everybody else was in that leading pack, and yeah, Martin has seemingly come along quite nicely so far to start of this season. And they're a very strong performance, <sighs>
0: yeah. 19 years old, um, Hockey Martin, and yeah, this is only his, his third season, um, in Grand Prix. And his, his first two seasons have been on Mahindras with the, with the Aspar team. So, um, while he couldn't quite hit the same heights as Banyaya on the same bike, um, Martin clearly showing that with a Honda underneath him. And the top five across the line were all Hondas uh, in Qatar. That He is clearly a class rider. Um, and yeah, already better than he's ever gone before in a dry race. In fact, his best dry result looking at his career today was sixth place. Um, that second in the Czech Republic was his only top five in his career before this weekend. Um, yeah. So making a clear step up. And Grasini really look like they've got a seriously strong team there, don't they, Ray? With, with Martín and Gian Antonio. Um, in one yes. team that looks like a really strong eye they got Dijan Antonio got 8th um, in that Grand Prix uh, on Sunday 4th went to Aaron Canet who's another of those rookies from last season who's looking like he's going to make that step up and become a title fighter um, Canet looking like he's sort of smoothing those rough edges from last season where he kept looking good and crashing um, just when he was in good position Canet got 4th Romano Fanati next up in 5th um, on the brilliantly titled Marinelli River Cold Cypress Honda um, as, as as you do and as I mentioned to Bex last week if there's ever a team named for Romano Fanati it's that
1: um,
0: <laughs> but, uh, but fifth in the end and yeah a solid start he was only 0.4 off the win but does um, it just mean it's a little bit worried or noticing the fact that that's kind of where Fanati was last time he was in this class <laughs>
1: Yeah, it's like it's it seeming like it's like it's another decent but not spectacular yeah. Romano Fanati season. We could be you could be due for. I mean, props him for for being one of the few guys that was able to make the outside the outside line work through turn one. He was very yeah. good at that. But Fanati's always been the great racecraft guy. But we need more wins, Fanati. We need more. We need more of these if you if, if you're going to be a proper title contender and, you know, preferably not to punch out your mans
0: either. That, that, that yeah, will kind of, of help. was <laughs> no, he's not like Nicky Ayo to aim at this time, actually, so he, he might be all right. Um, but, but yeah, he, he was on the front row, uh, let's not forget Fanati, he was one of the guys, again, that was quick in pre-practice, so he got a front row start out of it. Um, mm-hmm. It was Martín, Ertl and Fanati on the front row of the grid, and, Yeah, a very rare occurrence for Fanati, where he actually finishes lower than he qualified, um, which is not something that we say about him uh, very, very often. Um, The result then in Moto3, Jean-Mierre, the winner from McPhee and Martin, then came Canet in fourth, Fanati fifth. Uh, Andrea Migno was the first KTM home in sixth, just ahead of Nicolo Antonelli on the first of the IO bikes and the only one to reach the flags because Ben Schneider crashed out. Uh, Dijan Antonio in eighth. Um, last of the leading group Marcos Ramirez um, one of last year's rookies finishing in 9th uh, that's a good joint for him on the Platinum Bay Real Estate KTM and then Adam Noradin completing the top 10 that is a career best for him um, on the Spanish National Circuit team just ahead of his teammate Sasaki who finished 11th on his debut um, rest of the points rounded out by Olivio Lloyd in 12th Darren Binder 13th Buliga fourteenth and Suzuki fifteenth, which meant there were no points at all for arguably Dre, the pre-season title favourite, and at Bastianini, whose Australian Glissier career still hasn't got started yet.
1: No, that is a weird one, there. Sixteenth. Like, Buliga and Bastianini, um, n- neither of them in the points. Two of the probably the two title favourites going into the season. And, uh, yeah, both at the point, it's very weird. They just, they, they just didn't have an answer for that leading group. And they finished, I think, five or six seconds off that leading group by the time they went over the line together. They just couldn't. Maybe they should have had a gentleman's agreement stop fighting each other and then work the toes see if we can get up to the leading back again. Maybe yeah. that maybe that was it. Maybe they were a bit too scrappy um, at the early going. But, uh, yeah, very, very weird. Um, yeah, three is one of
0: those where well, when you get the toe, it's so powerful, but once you lose it, you're not getting it back again. And, yeah. Uh, yeah, once they'd been gapped by the leading group, they weren't going to get that get that back. And it was so so strong. That they ended up finishing that group that they finished in. Both Bulliger and Bastianini was nearly 17 seconds off the winner. And um, that's how much time they lost um, by by strapping amongst themselves. And and I hope Bastianini's not going to do what he did last year. But last year? I know he had injuries at the start of the season, but he didn't really turn up till mid-season, did he? Um, oh. And then ended up coming through a pack to finish as the championship runner-up. But it was a as distant a runner-up as you can ever get. He was over 100 points behind Brad Binder by the end. So uh, let's hope Bastiani's not going to leave it until mid-season again before he finally turns up um, in Moto3 this season. So uh, championship standings are exactly as I've just told you, uh, with Mia leading it. Um, ...from Mfee. Um ...Honda, as you would imagine... ...lead the Manufacturers Championship... ...because they uh, 1, 2, 3, 4 and 5... ...only one rider scores points... Um, ...for each manufacturer... ...same as Moto2 and MotoGP... ...it's basically the first rider home... ...and each um, manufacturer scores their points... ...so it's Honda on 25... ...KTM on 10... Um, ...because their first rider finished sixth ...in case of Andrea Migno... ...no points for Mahindra or Peugeot... ...even though they're both the same thing... ...because neither of their riders... ...made it into the points... Um, bring back Banyaya will be the, uh, the, the sort of sentence that's being uttered the most at Keir Mahindra at the moment because they're missing <laughs> that guy badly um, in Moto3. Um, after this short pause, um, we'll return to this weekend because the Superbikes are back and not just the World Superbikes because BSB gets underway at Donington. We'll preview that season in just a moment. let's talk BSB then and look ahead to the brand new season of British Superbike, which gets underway at Donington Park this weekend. And um, yeah, we, we always talk about this in, in BSB, don't we, Dre, about how strong the field's looking. Um, and last season was arguably its strongest ever, but not only have we got the best of British um, for 2017, but we've got a number of international riders that are looking to yes. take on the likes of Burn and Haslam. Um, Last season, I remember I was previewing the season and talking about the showdown guys and talking about there are some serious big names they're going to miss out on this top six. Um, mm. And I think that's even truer this year. Absolutely.
1: I mean, we've got guys like uh, Sylvain Gintoli in there, David Chidiano has, has made the jump over. To you know, a former world superbike champion, and another guy that was a top contender in world superbikes is, is coming over, and there's no guarantee they're going to be any good uh, right now. I mean, I think I think I think Ginters will definitely be in the mix on that. That Suzuki looks very fast indeed um but yeah with guys like luke mossy coming around of course shaky and haslam were the top two last year a new honda fireblade for for linfoot and o'halloran like that it's like of only six to get in it's going to be extremely competitive to get into one of those top six spots for sure i would argue
0: it is here's how the calendar shapes up for for 2017 it gets underway this weekend as i mentioned it's Donton park for the opening round uh, of the championship Um, Brands Hatch Indy hosts round two, uh, that's on Easter weekend, so Easter Monday for the uh, two races from Brands on the Indy circuit. Uh, Alton Park is uh, at the beginning of May, May the 1st for uh, round three. Uh, Knock Hill is round four, so a bit earlier in the season this year, and that's in the middle of June. Uh, the first weekend of July sees the trip to Snetterton, uh, the 300 layout. Brantach hosts its second round, this time on the GP layout, on uh, the 21st to 23rd of July. Thruxton, the fastest circuit on the calendar, on the first weekend of August. Cadwell Park is the 20th of August. Um, Silverstone hosts uh, round nine. That's on the GP circuit, the 8th to the 10th of September. Uh, for that, the Showdown 3 will be cut off there. Uh, so it's Silverstone that's sees the cutoff for the showdown. Alton Park this time is the first showdown round of the season uh, in mid-September. Um, Assen hosts the second of the three showdown rounds. That's the 29th of the first, 29th of September to the first of October. That is the penultimate round of the season. The final round, as ever, is on the GP circuit, the triple header at Brands in mid-October. Um, right to a few of the riders that were expecting to be competing for that championship um, in mid-October. Um, I think it's a, a fair shout to suggest that Shaky Burn will probably be one of them. Dray, no matter how strong the field and the competition seems to get, Shaky Burn still seems to be the cream of P.S.P.
1: Yeah, he is. There's no getting around it. He will. Those will definitely be the favourite going in. And no matter what bike you put him on, no matter how good the field may or may not be, he's always in there. He always, he's just so good at this, at this British calendar. He's, he's got it nailed on he's got it mastered at this point and he's just so consistent doesn't make very many mistakes at all and has always got the speed to, to challenge for, for a race win on any given circuit at any given time that's just how good he is and um, it's going to take something overpowered from a bike to really to beat him like we got with Brooks a couple of years ago but in any case he's definitely favourite going in and will definitely be the, the guy everybody wants to beat as well
0: yeah shaky Ben. since he won his 5th British League Championship in, uh, back in October he has turned 40 would you believe? Um, Forty up. years young now, Shaky Burn, um, and still, still the best, best on the British Superbike. Um, so, where's the threat going to come from from him? Um, the and the JG Smith Kawasaki team will likely be the main threat again, although it's not actually the same team, um, bizarrely. It's now the uh, bomb of Kawasaki team, um, the team that did run as quattro plant last season because the um, GB Moto team that ran as JG Speedfit last season uh, are no longer with us because um, they ran three riders last season. So they kind of, um, Speed Fit have kept their same rider from last season in Luke Mossy, and they've kept their same rider from last season, in Leon Haslam. Still with me? Um, Now, yeah, it's a bit of a mouthful. It's the same team under a different name, um, and so it's also a different team under the same name. Now, Leon Haslam, um, as runner-up last season, so unfortunate to be a threat to shake it all the way through and then blow it just as a showdown started. Um, He's certainly going to be looking to go on better in 2017. Um, but equally Luke Mossy who was perhaps the breakout star of 2017 surely he's got to be one of those riders Dre that might well have a title running him
1: absolutely um, it's one of those things where he was he made the show in Aaron last year he snuck his way in but he had many many top five performances last year and he looked like he could be the, the young star that the series needs and I still think that's true now and he's been excellent in testing I've seen his name around the top of the timing sheets all throughout and he looks like he's got something on that Kawasaki this year with with the back in there and he's got a a great yardstick in Leon Haslam to work with as well it's not quite the super team of last year but might actually be better for them in the long run. So Luke Mossi is definitely, I, I think, a, a, a contender. I think he I think, will make a showdown again this year, and who knows how far he could take it?
0: Yeah, I think wins are definitely um, on the table for the season. I mean, he's still chasing his first win, of course, in BSB. He's had a pole, and he's had podiums, but he's still chasing that first win. Um, and you've got to think he's not going to be waiting too long. Um, before it arrives. Um, all of last year's Showdown 6, as I mentioned, are back for this season. James Ellison is one of those, though, to change bikes, as well as teams, because he's to the new McCam's Yamaha team um, for 2017. This is the team that's run by Keith Flint of Prodigy fame. He um, ran last year as Team Traction Control. They've ran, they're have they running this season with McCam's sponsorship um, with Yamaha R1s, which has pedigree, uh, it's fair to say, in BSB, although it didn't have much of it last year. Um, and yeah, Ellison's an interesting one. Ellison and Michael Laverty, you both. Fed said they underperformed last season, even though Ellison made the showdown and ended up finishing third in the points. He was a distant third and didn't win till the final round of the season. And Laverty was perhaps the biggest name not to make the showdown. So even though they're two riders probably towards the end of their careers, they're still two riders with points to prove. I'm a fire starter.
1: Um, yeah, as I was saying, yeah, I mean, yeah, absolutely, <laughs> I, I completely agree with you on that one. Um, yeah, Laverty you know i don't think he likes paperweights he's, he's better nope. than that quite, quite frankly um and edison like you say he was not able to score points at a rapid enough rate to be able to challenge you know shaky and haslam who were the guys that were winning all the races so yeah it's it's, it's a very strong team on paper like ellison and laverty are excellent riders they're big names and they have had many successful moments in this class they are both capable of winning multiple races a season no question mm. uh, the yamaha r1 i'm yet to be convinced i mean if you want to go by world standpoint yamaha's look a, look a fair bit stronger this year than they did last year so maybe them playing catch-up will help them out in the long run but it's, it's a very strong team on paper but i'm not convinced on the bike yet mm,
0: yeah strong team on paper but we, we said that about Tycho last season. We would have it on board. It didn't be, quite work well out. It yeah, might be the strongest team on paper. Yeah. <laughs> so um, yeah. So they, you know, they should do well. But um, yeah, we've said that before in BSB. So we'll wait and see. Um, we've covered four of the riders that are, were part of last season's showdown that are back. now let's talk about the other two. Um, Honda Racing with Dan Linsford and Jason Halloran, the team that continues to punch above its weight in BSB. Um, I don't think they were the team that we expected to get both riders into the showdown last season, but they did it. Mm-hmm. Um, and they, like the World Superbike team, have finally got the long-awaited new Honda Fireblade. But perhaps we weren't as excited about that, or we're not as excited about that now as we were a month ago, because it's not exactly served the World Superbike team so well so far, has it?
1: No, it hasn't. And again, them having to homologate all their parts to make it race illegal left Honda in a tears because they had to play catch-up. I mean, Tencarte are one of the best in the business as a tuning outfit, it's going to be a different ballgame here because I mean, the BSB guys have had a bit more time with it, basically, to be able to fiddle with it and see if it'll be able to make it work. And to be fair, from what I've seen on social media, Linford and O'Halloran seem pretty optimistic about this thing. So, yeah, I mean, it can't be any worse than a 10-year-old Fireblade, right? Right? <laughs> I mean, it's a really good team. And again, Linfoot, very nearly had his first yeah. win last year. Probably should have had his first yeah, win last year. Ten-year-old
0: Fireblade that Halloran won on last year.
1: Yeah. yeah, exactly. And Halloran, like I said, won a race on that on that old-ass Fireblade. So, you know, it's it's, hey, it's effective. It, yeah. I mean, but if Honda can find a little bit more, they'll be true contenders. Like like Again, Halloran and Linfoot are two of the, of the finest riders in the class. And again, both made the showdown. Both were challenging for podiums on multiple occasions. They're both excellent riders. They just need to find a little bit more, really, to make it work. So, looking forward to seeing what they've got. If the new Fireblade with a bit more time on their hands compared to Honda. I mean, for all the talk we've said about Honda and Worlds, Nikki Hayden did have two top tens in Thailand. So, you know, maybe they've already found a little bit more than what they had when when they first got the bike. So, hey, we'll have to wait and see how this shakes out. We're not sure how the rest of the field plays out yet. I've said that so many times this damn episode. Yes. But at the same time, yeah, I, I don't think it's quite as bad as people
0: think. That's all I. That's that's my bold prediction for the episode. Yeah, and as I say, Honda Racing BSB always continue to. Sort of punch off their weight and do a little bit better than they, they expect them to. So, so yeah, you might be right. Um, to the international uh, flavor to BSP this season, and um, yeah, this is almost the, almost the tagline for BSP this season. They've gone for the, the water for four before with Shaky and Keanu this season. It should be Shaky versus the world um, because three of the world superbikes top riders have joined us this year to try and take Shaky on, including the 2015, or I should say the 2014 World Superbike champion in Sylvain Um who. Um, has had a, a turbulent start to this year, uh, of course, off track, and our thoughts are with him um, for that. Um, but Sonny Gintoli in BSB, where he's been before, um, lest we not forget, he is a, a rider who has roots in British superbikes, he raced here in the past. Um, but how good for the series? First of all, not as it is that Gintoli back, but to have a world champion joining the class, and on the brand-new factory Suzuki.
1: Indeed, very, very nice to see. A nice pull for, for BSB to have a, a legitimate world superbike champion in, in its midst. And um, Gintis is a good name, and that Suzuki has looked very promising in testing. Gintoli has, has, has been gushing over that Suzuki uh, since they started testing with figure with Sapang and then you know, back in Portimao as well. I mean, like they, they, they seem like, Ginters seems very happy with that bike so far. And that's going to be the big wild card this year. I like guess a brand new Suzuki GSX-R 1000 they've got there. And Suzuki are adamant in saying they've used their MotoGP experience to craft, in their opinion, their most nimble ever bike. So we'll have to wait and see mm. again how it goes. We haven't seen it in competitive trim compared to the rest of the field yet. But I think Ginters could make a showdown spot if that Suzuki is anywhere as good as
0: they think it is, yeah, yeah, it's it's going to be fascinating to see how cause it, it's it's an all new project with that Suzuki. Because of course, it's not even touched World Superbikes yet, no. um, and because no team really wanted to take the gamble on it, so I think there'll be a lot of World Superbike teams watching this with real interest to see how, see how Gintoli gets on with this bike. Because if Gintoli is a showdown contender, it may well convince into a World Superbike team like an Altea or something like that to maybe sure. have a, to maybe have a go at this uh, and take that factory Suzuki on board for next season. Um, to the returning British champion um, in Josh Brooks, who uh, was quickest in the, the official test uh, at Donington last week, although that test told us the square was sod all because it rained um, for most of yes. the day. Um, so take take, a, take that with a pinch of salt. But Josh Brooks is back in BSB, and he has already said, "Dre, straight out of the box, heading into this weekend at Donington Park, we have to win." <laughs> and he's back on an hour one, so there's every reason why he might do
1: no pressure I mean nobody knows yeah, no a pressure
0: Anvil high attack. <laughs> who've never yeah, won before
1: no, no, no pressure and all that You've never won a race and now Brooks is saying this is a must win race already um, well I don't think there's a racer on the planet that knows the R1 better than Josh Brooks does yeah. and we all saw what happened when he did get a hold of it properly two years ago when he completely dominated the second half of the season um, I've never seen dominance like that before in no. any form of bike racing really um, but Brooks knows this spot at the back of his hand, and we'll have to wait and see whether um, Yamaha's got more on them than what they have. But Brooks is the, is the number one guy I would pick to put on a Yamaha if I was building a team. So again, like they were the factory Yamaha team last, oh, sorry, they were the satellite Yamaha team there last
0: year. Yeah, Tommy Hill's and team in
1: yeah, they struggled they struggled a lot for the year. I mean, we all talked about Raspoli and whatnot not on McConnell. And, you know, the team was just not there last year. They had many problems on and off the track. But they got a very, very good rider in Josh Brooks underneath them. So they, they could only go up from there, really.
0: Yeah, you'd think so. Um, <laughs> pressure on them, though, as you say. Brooks is... Because uh, we noticed when Bex and I were at Autosport back in, back in January, they had the... the uh, Amble Tag Yamaha on display at the Pirelli stand. and um, Josh Brooks has the uh, he has one star um, on uh, his number twenty five, and then he has another star that's not been coloured in yet. Um, so he's obviously uh, planning to add another for this season. He's already planning to add a second one for twenty seventeen and to add a second championship. So there are no no questions as to what Josh Brooks is aiming this season. He's aiming high uh, on that Amble Higher Tag Yamaha. Um, and the Yamaha that he knows, as you mentioned, oh so well, um, to, I guess, the wild card for, for 2017, the other international name that's joined BSB. Um, Tyco BMW, who flattered to deceive really last season, didn't get either rider in the showdown in the end. Um, so they have called upon Davide Giuliano to try and take them there this season. He joins Christian Eden in BSB. I and mean, it's fair to say that in the end, his World Superbike stint just didn't quite work out, unfortunately, for Giuliano. It just wasn't working for him at Ducati mm. and they gave him the boot. Um, so, it's going to interesting whether BSB and Taka BMW is the home that Giuliano's been looking for.
1: It could be. It could be. Um, Davide, I think, is, is a big case of untapped potential. Like, mm. we've seen it in worlds where on his day, he is capable of challenging for wins that first win never really came in World Superbike, was, although he came close on multiple occasions and as I said he's like he's aggressive he's the kind of guy that uh, he's, he's a rider's rider a lot of people will like him for that and again the potential is there I just he just needs the right team and the right bike and the right environment from to fully harness it and I hope that the, the the shock of being booted out of Ducati for Marco Melandri and then you know coming over here to BSB with, with Tycho, I hope that fresh start is maybe what might increase Davide's maturity and he might be able to get something out of this bike
0: um, because the talent's always been there. Yeah. It's just a matter of being able to harness it. Yeah, I think he's a rider that, I think we are all agreed. he's a rider that we all want to see do well, Davide um, Giuliano, because like, like you say, he came so close so many times in World Superbikes and didn't quite get that first win. Um, and whilst Ducati have since been proven right with Melandri that they were right to bring him back, and Giuliano didn't necessarily deserve to drop off the World Superbike grid altogether, but yeah, I think BSB could be a good fit for him. And I tell you what, it's gonna be sure as hell it's gonna be fun to watch Giuliano around places like Knockhill, Cadwell Park oh, yes. later this season. That's just kind of so because I think he's just gonna love the hell out of um, later in the year. Um, let's run you through the full lineup then. Byc Ducati have their unchanged lineup of Shaky Burnt and Glen Irwin. Um, who, of course, K1's going towards the end of last season. JG Speedfit Kawasaki have Leon Haslam and Luke Mossy as their two riders. Honda Racing, a couple of riders for them, unchanged Dan Linfoot and Jason Halloran, although the bike is very much changed for 2017. Echo BMW, Christian Iden and Davide Giuliano. Quattro Plan FS3 Kawasaki have a sole rider, it's Billy McConnell. The RAF Regular and Reserves team have Jake Dixon, but they switched from BMW to Kawasaki. Uh, Anvil High Tag Yamaha have Josh Brooks and Sean Winfield. Moto Rapido Ducati have John Hopkins on board again. Um, hopefully, he can stay clear of injuries this season. McCams Yamaha, James Ellison, and Michael Laverty. Bennett's Suzuki, Sylvan Gitoli, and the Super Stock 1000 champion, Taylor McKenzie. That is a strong lineup as well. Uh, Tommy Bridewell is now with the Team WD40 Kawasaki team. Peter Hickman has found a new home at Smith's racing team, so he's back on a BMW after a year on a Kawasaki. Uh, Lee Jackson is his teammate. Jakob Smertz is the Soul rider for the Lloyd and Jones PR racing team. Aaron Zanotti has the platform higher Yamaha rider. Uh, riders Motorcycles BMW have Martin Jessup on board. Bradley Ray, the much uh, hyped and highly rated runner-up from last season's British Supersport Championship. He's on a Suzuki with the build-based team. Geerling Kawasaki have James Westmoreland on board, and that completes your lineup. And And, Dre, it, it, it just goes to show that it wasn't hyperbole earlier on. When we were talking about how strong this lineup is. We've already covered the showdown six. Add to that the international names of Gintoli, Brooks, Giuliano. Then you've got the Stock 1000 champion of McKenzie. You've got yep. the likes of Hopkins on board. You've got Hickman still around. You've got Bridewell still around. Christian Iden still around. And only six of them can make the showdown. That's
1: not possible, man. That's like so some really, really good names are not going to get in Some here. really good
0: names are going to finish 12th.
1: Now we're seeing the, the like. Now we're seeing the good side of the Showdown debacle now, because now you've got a field full of big names, and now you automatically know only six can challenge for a title. I guess it works both ways in the sense if you had a conventional format, you might get even more guys involved in said title fight. Mm, okay. Rather than locking the door at six, that might actually be counterproductive at this point. That's how crazy it is now.
0: Yeah, but you have to stretch uh, it out to ten for next. year.
1: Yeah, exactly. But in any case, uh, wow, what a field. Probably the strongest PSP's ever had. It's incredible.
0: Yeah, we can't wait to see that get underway this weekend. Of course, the usual uh, array of support classes uh, will be joining it. British Supersport... Of course, Alistair Seeley is probably one of the names to look out for there. A former champion, he's gone back from British Superbikes back to Supersport for this year. So look out for him on the number 34. Superstock 1000 as well is where we'll have an eye on, though, Drake, as uh, one of our friends of the show, one of our favourites, James Raspoli uh, is going to be one of the title favourites in uh, Superstock 1000 with the FS3 uh, Kawasaki team. Perhaps not the clear run to the title we thought he'd have when we checked the entry list and realised that not only... Um, <laughs> Not only is Raspoli on that group, but Danny Bucken, a former champion, is in it. And Richard Cooper, a guy who very nearly made the showdown last season, he's in there too. That's just not fair, man. need my man's alone, Yeah,
1: We like Raspoli on this show. We'd like to call him a champion on this show at some point. But no, no. Richard Cooper and bucken has got to go over there and spoil the damn show. <laughs> That's, that's, that's terrible. I, I I
0: want to protest this, son of a bitch. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, but that is going to be one hell of a class to keep an eye on. The, uh, the reigning champion, as I mentioned, has moved out. Taylor McKenzie's gone up to BSB. Mm-hmm. Um, but his brother Taron he defends the British Supersport Championship incidentally uh, but yeah that, that's by no means means that the Stock Thousand Class is weaker this year if anything it's even stronger um, so keep an eye out for that as well Of course, all of those support races are live as well as the main class BSP on British Eurosport throughout the weekend if you live in the UK um, also on Eurosport this weekend we'll see the return of the World Superbike Championship um, The as Jonathan Ray looks to extend his winning streak um, the the voiceover or the voiceover done by a friend of the show Tom Brooks um heights up this weekend by saying will Aragon remain in red um and for Chaz Davis's sake it kind of has to
1: yeah as I was gonna say like who's into the wind right um uh, uh Chas Davis next yeah, question. he better <laughs> uh, but uh, he needs both he really does need both and like Jonathan Ray has been so good this season so far that I'm not exactly sure that Chaz is going to exactly cakewalk this no, one no. Uh, because Jonathan's been so good and, and Chaz has made characteristic Chaz Davis-esque mistakes. So it's not as as clean cut as I thought it was going to be going into this one. But Chaz, given Jikari's strengths, they should be good around here. They should be able to win pretty comfortably. And I hope they do because we need a title fight in our hands here and Chaz is probably the best bet of us getting something like that. So, yeah, we need a Chaz Davis double for the sake of the championship because if Jonathan Ray takes two more wins and we've had it, we're going home at this this, this point. (laughs) Give him
0: the trophy. Uh, mm-hmm. if that happens. And, um, yeah, what's also going to be interesting to see if um, Tom Sykes can finally get his Super Bowl supremacy back because so we've got the new qualifying tyre debuting this weekend um, for the Aragon round, which has been much talked about in the first two rounds because we never got qualifying tyres at all in Thailand. Um, but in, uh, in Aragon, we're going to have the new qualifying tyre, which is said we'll be able to do like three or four basically hot laps at a time. Um, so we're not going to have that sort of anti-climax at the end of a Super Bowl session where they all go out, do one lap, and then that's it. They're basically the qualifying ties now. We'll be able to do three or four fast laps, so we should have a much more exciting Super Pole this time. Um, it'd be interesting to see if we receive the return of a Tom Sykes curb stomp on Saturday morning. Uh, ah, God! Um, you want that? that, that that's yeah. all you. Something. <laughs> yeah. that—that well, that was yeah. the only thing. That's the only thing we've got nowadays. Now that Jonathan Ray wins every week, at least we— at least we get the <laughs> polls. At least we get the polls. But we're not even getting them now. Yeah. Um, so, uh, so let's wait and see on Saturday morning. Um, World Superbikes returns. Um, Superpole Saturday morning, race one Saturday afternoon, and race two, of course, with its semi-reverse grid on Sunday afternoon. Um, This weekend also sees the debut of the Supersport 300 class um, for the brand new season, which also will be covered live in Eurosport, for those that are wondering. You'll also be able to watch those races live. Um, over the course of the weekend, they will also, incidentally, run the same Super Pole format as um, World Superbike and Super Sport 600. Uh, so they'll have their split qualifying session as well. Uh, and here is the grid lineup for World Super 300 this season. Bit of a warning these names will probably mean as little to you as they do to me, um, but these are the names that you're probably going to be getting to know over the course of the season. The most familiar of them, I would say, is the first of them numerically, and that's the number two of Anna Carrasco, um, once of Moto 3. Um she of course best finish of 8th in model 3 uh, in that race where Vinales won the title, she's going to be riding for the ETG Kawasaki team on a Kawasaki Ninja 300. Um, so she'll be one to watch. Uh, the GRT racing team, you'll notice a lot of these team names is the same as the team names further up the pecking order in World Superbikes. So a lot of teams going for junior teams. Uh, the GRT team have Robert Schottman and Enzo de la Vega. Uh, that's a Dutchman and a Frenchman. Uh, we have an old Italian lineup at the 2R Road racing team on a Yamaha R3. Uh, Nicola Satimo and Jacobo. Faco, uh, the DS Junior team for Kawasaki on a Ninja 300. Kim Alvesi and Doran Lorrero. He's a South African. Um, we have another Dutchman at MVR. That's Ruben Dorakas. Uh, the 3N Racing team for Yamaha. Nicholas Kupali. Um, Pertamina Racing team. I have um, produced a commentator's dream of an Indonesian. It's Ali Adriancia Rusmiputro, I believe that's how it's pronounced. SK Racing have three riders, all Italians. They're also on R3s. Alfonso Capola, who impressed in the Junior Cup last season, Michael Carbonera, and Giuseppe De Grotola. Scuderia- at Maranga Racing, they have a Honda CBR 500 uh, for Gabriel Nodera and Alex Trickier uh, Team Toth, who've um, decided that they're not going to bother populating the back of world superbike grids now, they're going to run in Super Spot 300. And they've signed a Brit in Alex Murley, who ran in the Junior Cup last season. Uh, he's got a South African teammate in Troy Um, The Sours Foods Benjan Racing team, that's my favourite team name so far. Uh, they have the second female rider on the grid, that's Avalon Biddle. Um, who also rode in the Junior Cup last season. Team Moto X Racing, I have a Yamaha for Makita Kalanin. Um, the 3570 Team Italia team, so they've not bowled with Moto3 anymore. Team Italia are now going to bring riders through in Supersport 300 instead. Uh, their riders are Manuel Bastianelli and Paolo Grazia. Um, Boya Sanchez and Danny Valla are the two Spaniards for MS Racing. Uh, they're on a Yamaha. Hopkins Racing, have another Brit, that's Luke Hopkins, um, Filippo Rovelli is the sole rider for the Park & Go DS Junior team Terry Emoto have a Yamaha for Paolo Giacomini he's another Italian uh, Harun Sabuk rides for Kawasaki Pacetti. so they've got a junior rider and given the Foglu influence it will not surprise you at all to learn that Sabuk is a Turk um, Jared Shultz. Schultz Um, He is the BWG racing rider for the Grimaldi team on a Kawasaki. Uh, Scott DeRue, who's last season's uh, British Star champion, Uh, he rides for the MTMHS Kawasaki team alongside uh, the third Brit on the field, Chris Taylor. Iota Racing have a rider for Armando Patoni. Uh, Team Trasimeno, the Yamaha team, have Angelo Licchiardi. He's a Belgian. The European Junior Cup champion of last season, arguably the title favorite, number 88, Mika Perez. Um, he's one of the other Honda riders on the CBR 500 for the Will Sport Race Days team. And the final team completing the grid, the Callio Race System team. Of course, they have a team in Supersport, in Supersport 600 as well, with Niki Tuli on board. They have a fin in that class too, Kimi Patova, alongside the Brazilian Renzo Ferreira. Um, So those are the names that you're going to be learning over the course of this season in World Supersport 300. Um, Difficult to pick a winner from all that, Dre, but one thing we can say about this in World Supersport 300 is I think World Superbikes are going for some of that Moto3-style racing in this class. Oh, so yes. um, so fingers crossed this provides this. And in all seriousness, in a, in a motorcycle climate now where not many manufacturers are building Supersport 600s anymore, I think it's fair to say, um, the Yamaha R6 is probably the sole exception to that rule. This is probably a class that needed to happen because this looks like it's where the motorcycle industry is going
1: yeah like smaller more accessible bikes has probably been the way to go as super bikes become more and more powerful more and more expensive all of them hovering around the 200 to 220 horsepower mark which for a road bike you can buy for 20 grand is (laughs) um but yeah in any case having like a having the more accessible sports bikes to the 600 cc the 300 cc bikes that are you know still pack a wallop because of their ridiculously high power to weight and and that's that's the way it's going. So. Yeah, for, and of course, given that Moto Three is so entertaining, I'm guessing we'll say, "Hey, we we'll want a piece of that life by yeah. having this Superstock 300s in there as well." So that's going to be uh, one to definitely watch. I can't wait to, to start watching that series and seeing how it shakes out. Yeah, and again, it's, uh,
0: and it's okay. great. Uh, okay. Yeah, that should be the name of the show, shouldn't it? Uh, but no, as, as Greg Haynes said on on Facebook this week, it, they are expecting Moto Three style racing from these bikes um, in, in Superstock 300. So yeah, I can't wait to see it in action for the first time this weekend. Um, yeah, we have three uh, female riders on the grid this weekend. So we have a female wildcard out there too. We have um, Sofoglu's protégé in, in Shabuk at the Kawasaki Racing Team. Three Brits on the grid as well um, with Alex Murley, Chris Taylor and Luke Hopkins. Um, Mick Perez last season's European Junior Cup champion as well. So a lot of quality, perhaps not as so many names that we're familiar with, but no lack of quality on this grid. Um, so we look forward to seeing it in action for the first time this weekend. Um, While is not watching his protégé, um, he'll also be a little bit busy this weekend because uh, after two complete, well, without wanting to put seal fine on it, two cluster fox in the first two races of the season in World Super 600, back to restore some order this weekend. Dre, the champion's back. Kinslevogly returns.
1: Kinslevogly is now the official Andre Harrison-like rider of choice now for the for eternity. He is back to restore order. He has had it with with, with these younguns that are getting involved, hitting each other, and basically causing carnage at every at every single turn. So, quite frankly,
0: he's C- is back to restore some order and you know, I expect him to win because he's killing Safoglu. That's what yes. we do around right here. <laughs> yes. and, uh, we're, we're still fully expecting him to turn this around and win this championship too, aren't we? Uh, yeah. Given that he's not really lost a lot of ground to his, like, even the championship leader, which is Robbie Rolfo amazingly still, he's only 30 points up the road from Safoglu. So, um, yeah, we're still fully expecting him to turn that around um, as the season goes on. Uh, starting this weekend, it's going to be interesting to see if he's fully fit, first of all, uh, given that it's the first time he's really been on a bike since breaking his arm back in January. Mm-hmm. um so he's uh, yeah he's not really ridden a bike in anger for two months so um if safoglu does win this weekend i think much like world Superbikes, it's time to go home because if he wins this weekend he's gonna win everywhere else and <laughs> uh, yeah. so we'll follow that with interest we will be back next week uh, here on bike life here on most one on to review everything that does happen both at donington park in the bsb season opener and in round three of the world superbike championship at aragon in spain um until then as i mentioned all the places you can find us twitter we're at motorsport underscore 101 facebook.com forward slash motorsport 101 we're on youtube.com forward slash motorsport 101 um our website motorsport101.net and all of uh all of that stuff as i say on the website there where you can find individual sections now for both motorsport 101 and this show bike live um and if you want to back us on patreon patreon.com forward slash motorsport101 we thank each and every one of you for your support which has taken us past the $100 a month barrier uh, here for Motorsport 101 which means as I say Dre which means that before we next hear from you on Motorsport 101 next week we'll be hearing you on a Google Hangout
1: no one screenshot my face for God's sake Do (laughs) do it do it (laughs) don't you dare I hate all of you (laughs) it's one of those things but um, yeah uh, uh, most likely by the time this goes out I'll I'll have a a definite date and time it's most likely going to be this Sunday Um, so stay tuned for that I might be too busy watching motorsport for that by that point but i have to wait and see how that goes but yeah weekly hangouts will be a thing on the network from here on in Um, so yeah looking forward forward to that one and seeing how that turns out and not looking forward to people inevitably hovering over their print screen buttons Mm -hmm. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah yeah keep your eyes on it because like, i say it's led to one of our, our great thumbnails uh here on motorsport 101 from this week and in fairness uh one of the great intros uh, for those that haven't listened to motorsport 101 episode 79 um yes. go and check it out uh the uh brilliantly titled what was it the triggering article 101 we we named yes. it oh, i'll say we named it um you named it um uh, i didn't name it. it was actually danny brennan yeah you it. as in you the listeners i mean
1: Yes, like I threw it out there, and shout out to Danny Brennan for being the guy that came up with the name. I was very impressed with that one. <laughs> um, and King, who designed the thumbnail, ended up going with it with my face on it. I hate him for this. <laughs> I'm going to kill him. <laughs> so, um,
0: so yeah, next week, episode eighty uh, of Most Sport One Hundred One, um, and indeed episode five, episode six, should I say, of Bike Live. So keep an eye out next week for all of that for full details as i say probably best place to go is to twitter for details of the google hangout motorsport underscore 101 on twitter for all of that um but for now it's my thanks to all of you for listening here on bike live my thanks to andre harrison uh, for joining me this week um we'll we'll reconvene next week perhaps we go without our scouse co-host um rebecca james um but until then it's my thanks to all of you for listening and we will catch you guys next time for now it's bye
1: Sayonara!